You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. What is happening, everybody? It is A's Cast Live, a Friday edition. And, of course, we've got some great guests for you today. And there's all kinds of news in Major League Baseball. But starting today at 1.30, Alex Coffey from The Athletics, she did a deep dive into the relationship and something that you heard here on A's Cast Live with A's Hall of Famer, Dave Stewart. It's just a classic story. Dave Stewart, the stare, the fork ball, he learned from Sandy Koufax, the Hall of Famer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And... The first time I ever heard the story, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember, of course, listening to Ken and Vince do the broadcast, and they had Stu on, and I don't remember if it was Ken or it was Vince who asked him about the forkball, and he mentioned Sandy Koufax, and it was like one of those moments that, like, all of a sudden you sit up and, like, you really, like, pay attention. Like, Sandy Koufax taught Dave Stewart the forkball? Are you kidding me? You're talking about two pitching legends. You're talking about a guy who's one of the greatest pitchers of all time and had a stretch. I mean, Sandy Koufax had a stretch that you could say, I don't know if anybody was better during that time. It wasn't a long stretch, but it was a stretch of just greatness. So that's a great story. We'll talk about that at 1.30. You want greatness? We all know how great Willie Mays is. You hear me say this all the time. I don't know who the greatest player is, but if you're going to have that discussion, by the way, I steal this from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because they asked Kareem, are you the greatest center of all time? And you'd say, well, you know, you look at all the MVPs, you look at championships, and what's the number one thing to do in basketball? Well, that's to put the ball through the hoop and no one put the ball through the hoop more than Kareem. But Kareem said, hey, I got too much respect for, for Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. And so Kareem said, if you're going to have a conversation, who's the greatest center of all time, I'm just saying I need to be in the conversation. Well, I steal that from Kareem for baseball. If you're going to say who's the greatest baseball player of all time, there's no doubt Willie Mays has to be in that conversation. John Shea, our national baseball writer in the Bay Area for the San Francisco Chronicle, will be here at 2 o'clock as he's come out with a new book about Willie Mays. And one of the things that really has stood out 
is game one of the 1973 World Series. When Willie Mays is introduced, he's 42 years old. This is this is it for him. And it's at the Coliseum. Now, I doubt really anybody listening was at that game. Because if you are, God bless you. But if you watch that game that they aired on NBC Sports California, Willie Mays gets introduced game one. He gets a standing ovation from the crowd in Oakland. Not only does he get a standing ovation, but they don't introduce the next player. They, they let it breathe. How many times have you seen that in your lifetime? Because we always see at the World Series, they're going to announce the players, the players come running out. They do it for every playoff series. But how many times have you seen an opposing player at the World Series get introduced game one in the other team's ballpark, and the guy gets a standing ovation. Because everybody knew, I mean, they saw Willie play here in the Bay Area with the Giants all his career. A's fans knew this guy's greatness. And they knew he's probably done after this. And it was, I mean, watching it, it was really cool. I've never seen something like that. So we'll talk to John Shea at 2 o'clock. We stick in the American League Central. Today, we are covering the Cleveland Indians, as we've been doing every division. The Tribe last year won 93 games and didn't make the playoffs. Oh, God, baseball in 2020. Unbelievable. The A's have won 97 games two straight years and only gets them into a wild card game. Heck, the Indians won 93. That's a great record. You're out. You're not even in. Their legendary voice. Swung on and belted. One of the great home run calls. Tom Hamilton will be here today at 2.30. Also one of the great voices of the game. But he's your voice. He's the voice of summer. He's the voice of the athletics. The great Ken Korak will be here at 3 o'clock. And then we have a treat of treats for you at 3.30. This guy was a great third baseman in his time. And was just recently a coach for Bob Melvin. We are going to South Korea. The big Marine, Matt Williams, is going to join us. How cool is that? I can tell you, we taped him last night at 9 o'clock. Because remember, they're a day ahead of us. We go into the future to talk to our guy, Matt Williams. And one of the things we're going to talk about with Matt it's not only everything that's going on and how they're doing it because, you know, they're the template to get this thing going here in the United States. But Matt Williams has been a part of two of the greatest World Series of all time. He's been on the winning side and the losing side of walk-offs in Game 7. Think about it. He was with the Indians, extra innings. Edgar Renteria walks it off for the Marlins. Total heartbreaker. And then in 2001, he's with the D-backs against the Yankees as the Yankees are trying to four-peat. And you got Mariano Rivera on the mound. And Gonzo walks it off with a little blooper just over the second baseman's head. So he's been a part of two of the greatest World Series, winning and losing. I can't wait to talk to him about it. And then, of course, 
how is it managing in Korea? He only has, you know, you, you get three guys, you're allowed to have three Americans. Everybody else is, is Korean. So he's got an interpreter and uh, he's got a young ball club and they're looking to try and make the playoffs in the KBO. So it's going to be really cool, let me tell you, to play Matt Williams for you. So Alex Coffey at 1.30, John Shea at 2 o'clock, Tom Hamilton at 2.30, Ken Korak at 3, and Matt Williams at 3.30. It looks like we are getting good news on our old skipper, Art Howe. Truly one of the nicest men I've ever covered. An absolute gentleman. I remember him as a player. He was a good player. Uh, Art has COVID-19. He's in ICU. We bring in the commander, Commander Cody. I mean, when you see that, because Art's like, what, 72, 73, you go, oh, my God, no. But it sounds like he is doing better. Is that correct, Cody? Yeah, from what I saw yesterday on Twitter, it sounds like that Art is doing much better and that from I can't remember who tweeted it, but it sounds like that he's hoping to go home later this week, so we'll see. But it sounds like, you know, I know he's in ICU, but it sounds like he was doing better. Uh, I, I'm going to keep trying to find the tweet on who sent that out, but it sounds like he's – He's doing better than when he, you know, when you hear ICU, you think it's a lot worse than it is. But um, he, he apparently he said he never experienced anything like this before. But from what I saw that he's uh, he's starting to feel a little bit better and he's hoping to go home later, you know, maybe next week. Yeah. And then our condolences go out to former A's hitting coach, longtime GM, longtime player. Bob Watson passed away. He's been dealing with health issues. So our, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family as, you know, Bob, you know, you think about what he did with the New York Yankees and returning to the New York Yankees to being a, a great franchise again, uh, a baseball life, and he will be missed. And, of course, he was the hitting coach in 1988, and we all know how good that A's team was. So a little, little news going on. Um, I think it's also very good news that we have the commissioner, Rob Manfred, friend of the program. He's out there talking. He's being positive and talking about there's going to be a season. And that's what we want to hear. Do we have the uh, audio of him, Commander, on CNN? Uh, the only audio I have of uh, Manfred is him talking about um, the owners and what could potentially happen without a season. The clip that they have from Anderson, what he was on with Anderson Cooper on CNN is – was really long, so I didn't get, uh, get a chance to pull of it because it was in sections. He didn't just go through like a minute long answer, so it would have been like a seven minute clip. So I didn't, but it was all good news from what we found out from what he said yesterday about the testing and everything else. Yeah, when I um, when I saw it, normally you don't think of the commissioner of baseball being on CNN, but obviously. With everything that's going on, baseball in South Korea, baseball in Japan, NASCAR about to start, PGA Tour has a plan. So other people are getting started, which is great. Will give us some more live events. But baseball will be the big one. And the number one, the number one league of them all, the NFL, they're going to be watching baseball. Baseball has to work for the NFL to get going. And no one really has heard anything from the NFL. Been no word on training camps, preseason, no one knows. But baseball, hopefully, and and, and Rob's right. If you want to play or if you don't want to play, 
We all understand. But there's going to be a lot of guys who want to play. And they're going to play. It's not a good look to be bickering about money right now, but I understand. It's business. But the number one business is to get back to playing and to give give hope to people. And that's what baseball has always done for us during our worst times. You know, I was thinking back last night and of the worst part of my career. And that was September 11th, 2001. I just got married. I'll never forget. I was doing the morning show on KMBR. I get in whatever time it was. The first plane had already hit the World Trade, World Trade Center. And I remember our board op was watching it on television. And he was like, wow, it's weird. A plane hit the World Trade Center. And at that point, you're thinking private plane. You didn't know it was an uh, it, it was a it was a jet. You didn't know it was you had no idea. And I remember I went in the back at the old KMBR is in a different building from when I worked there. And I went back and at that point, Barry Bonds was going for the home run record and they were in Houston. Remember when Houston was a National League team? So I'm back there prepping, doing all my stuff, getting the sound together. And I remember it was like 558 and I walked back in and the second plane hit the World Trade Center. And it's, oh, my God, we're being attacked. I then had to walk out and go into the studio, and I go live at 6 a.m. I start the show with a monologue and an update. And it was, it was, I I was just stunned because we had TVs in the studio, and you're seeing a, a plane, a second plane just hit the World Trade Center, and all of a sudden it's like Townsend, go. And I had to say, there's something dramatically uh, wrong going on in New York right now. We're going to keep you updated. A second play. I remember talking about it. It was, it was, and Gary would always walk in. I did the show with Gary Radnich, the legend Gary Radnich. And he would always walk in as I was doing my monologue. And I truly think it was the greatest day of Gary's career because Gary was always a shtick guy we know. But this day he turned into a true newsman. And we were on for like three hours. And then they finally had to pull us off and go, we got to go to, we, at that point we were, we were affiliated with ABC News. Uh, if people remember, ABC used to be in the radio game. Remember when these big networks used to be in the radio game? CBS, ABC. Uh, we had to go to e- ABC National News because it, it got beyond us. Once they started, the, the World Trade Center, came, both buildings came down. Uh, and then I remember that week, that week was crazy. What do we need to do, Cody? That, that sound you were talking about, you were hearing, uh, it sounds like it's coming through. I'm listening on the app. So, uh, let's try to figure that out. Yes. I don't know what it's coming from my end. I have no idea. Like it wasn't here last. It was here one day where you're taping, uh, it wasn't here when we did Matt Williams last night. I don't know what it is. Okay. Uh, Take what, you behind the curtain. Yeah. We're going to have to try to figure this out. So let's go to break, and then we can try to see if we can figure it out. I'm going through my dramatic story, and you're like, break? 
Well, I'm, I don't mean to do that, but I'm just trying to make it easier for the listeners to, to be able to I listen. Was gonna to tell you, well, I'll, quick, I'll quickly tell you this. We then became like a news organization, right? Not sports. And our boss sent us out to all these different locations. And I was supposed to go to the Bank of America building because supposedly that was a target. You know, every, every we start talking about it, there was all these targets in these major cities, supposedly. And I remember going, I'm not going to the Bank of America building. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I, I, had, I had to interview people. So I, I, I would watch people walk out of the Bank of America building and then I would tape them a block away. I'm like, I'm not going in there. All right. Coming up next. Hopefully the hissing will go away. It may not. So you can hear that, huh? I can. So well, we'll go to break right. and try to figure try it out. Try to fix this right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. So how is it, Cody? Uh, from what I heard, I, I still heard it. But I'm still working to figure out what this is. Because this is the first time we've had this issue. Since we've been doing this remotely, and I don't, I'm kind of flabbergasted is the word I'm looking for, and trying to figure out what All is right, actually going I, on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit mute on this one channel. I can hear. Can you still hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Now I can't hear you, but can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, I'm giving you the thumbs up for people who don't know what's going on. <laughs> I I don't know what to do, man. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this out. I'll, I'll connect with the Italian stallion and see what he has to say. Um, we'll try to figure this out. But you can continue so telling your you story think, if you'd like. Well, you already ruined my story. I was getting emotional, and you just ruined it. You just trampled all over my career. Um, I'm not really hearing it right now. Are you still hearing it? Uh, let, let me check. I'll put my other headphones in and check the app. Alex Coffey from The Athletic is going to join us at 1.30. And going to talk about that great story about Dave Stewart and Sandy Koufax. We do have an update for you on the season being played out on baseball reference. We have some shocking news about that. Absolute shocking. What is going on in the American League West? It is. And the sound is still there. Um, I, I'm. I'm working through it. We can work through our tef- technical difficulties. If people can work through stuff like this, and we can work through this. But let's start with yesterday. The A's fall to the Mariners in the finale of the three-game set in Seattle. They fall to 26 and 19 yesterday. They fell a game and they fell a half game behind the Mariners. Hazel Cesardo went seven innings long, one run while striking out six to lower his ERA on the year to 4.61. Jake Diekman took the loss though. Uh, it was his fourth loss of the year. He's now 3-4 and four with a 5-9-4 ERA on the year. Wei-Yin Chen, he's still around in Major League Baseball, got the, got his third win of the year for the Mariners as the A's now will be taking on the Angels, which we'll get to in a second. But yesterday, Clayton Kershaw threw his second career no-hitter versus the Phillies, joining Sandy Koufax and Carl Erskine as the only Dodgers with multiple no-hitters. Which brings us to today. The A's dropped Game 1 in Anaheim to the Angels 4-2. to two. They're now 26-20. and 20. That's a game and a half behind the Mariners in the AL West. Yes. Come on. The Seattle Mariners are in first place. On May, Come on. On May 15th. Shohei Otani picked up his fourth win of the season going seven innings and striking out eight. He has a 2.97 ERA on the year. Looks like he's coming back healthy from Tommy John. 
Chris Bassett took the loss. He's now four and three with a 4.41 ERA after going six and two thirds, allowing one earned run. He routed three runs overall. Marcus Simeon hit his 13th home run of the season, but Mike Trout hit his 15th home run of the season, and he's now hitting 296 on the year. Now that home run, you wonder, okay, it's his 15th big deal. That was Mike Trout's 300th career home run, making him the 11th player to have 300 home runs through his age 28 season. That's incredible. He has three. He has 300 home runs through his first. This is his 10th season. So you figure if he plays another 10, he could have 600. But we'll see. But so he's the 11th player to have 300 home runs through his age 28 year. And uh, Anthony Rendon continues to struggle. He's hitting 237 for the oh, Angels. Oh, he's a bust. He's a bust. Yeah, it's not looking good. Not looking good for that signing. Do you have the list of guys who uh, who he joined? Uh, let me see if I. Baseball Reference had the tweet about it. Uh, I think Griffey was on it. Um, I think I still have it on my computer. I'll search for a second and see what we can find on it. Um, but still, 300 home runs through, you know, age 28. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why people think he's going to be the greatest player of all time. And people already – I mean, he has the war already. Um, it's just – it's incredible to think that what he's doing is – so, yeah, here's the list. Uh, A-Rod had 381. Griffey had 350. Uh, Jimmy Fox had 343. Eddie Matthews had 338. Mickey Mantle had 320. Albert Pulhos had 319. Mel Ott had 306. John Carlo, Mike Stanton had 305. Andrew Jones, 301. Juan Gonzalez, 301. So those are the, those are the 10 guys ahead of Mike Trout right now. You know, you look at those names. I mean, everybody basically is a Hall of Famer except Juan Gonzalez, right? And Albert Pools obviously will be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and well, we'll see if A-Rod gets in, but he has Hall of Fame numbers. Um, yeah, they're all Hall of Famers. And, well, Stanton, we'll see if he gets in. Oh, and Andrew Jones. So, they're, okay, there are guys that are Hall of Famers, yes, but Andrew Jones, uh, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, Juan Gonzalez, he was just really good. Stan's career is not over, although he can't stay healthy. Pulhos will get in. Uh, Mickey Mantle celebrated his birthday – or was it his birthday yesterday? I think his birthday was yesterday or his debut. I, I have been buying or selling, but a lot of Mickey Mantle news happened. But that's the guy that people keep com comparing Trout to is Mickey Mantle. So, knowing that Mike Trout is on the same level as Mickey Mantle and he's only 28, that's, uh, that's extraordinary company to be a part of. So I just listened to the app, the TuneIn app, AceCast powered by TuneIn. When we talk, it's not there. It's when we pause, then you hear the hiss. Interesting. Because uh, I was trying to think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try listening, and if I mute you and I keep talking, I want to see if it's uh, still going, so I'll do that. But just Mike Trout is unbelievable for what he's doing with these numbers. And we're gonna, we've been seeing him forever with Mickey Mantle and, and – playing in the American League, and, yeah, it's still there. I tried listening and talking through myself, but it's still there. <laughs> Sorry, folks. It's got to be a chord. It's got. It's always something. Yeah, I just don't know what it is. I, I, I'm starting to think, really, that it's that – there's that cable that leads from your uh, audio box there into the, to the mixer, but if you unplug that, it's going to kick you off completely, and 
Uh, it's the commander show today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I got, I mean, I had the Joe DiMaggio 56 game hitting streak that we're going to talk to talk about hopefully after Alex coffee, but, uh, yes. On this day in baseball history, the greatest hitting streak of all time started Joe DiMaggio, a record hit in 56 straight games, which a lot of people believe will never be matched again. I mean, the guy who's come the closest, I want to say, is the hit king, Pete Rose, at 44. That's still not close. I remember Paul Molitor had a good streak. Our our friend of the program, Whit Merrifield, had a good streak last year. But the scrutiny that will be on you if you're going to be doing a hitting streak like this will be so overwhelming. I mean, just look at what happened. I can't wait for the documentary. But look at look look what it was like when McGuire and Sosa were going for the home run record. Look at the attention they got. It's amazing that they did it. Now, obviously, they're on PEDs, bonds, PEDs. But still, you got to put the bat to ball and you got to knock it out of the ballpark. I mean, you still got to do it. And with everybody, you know, breaking away for your every at bat, just staying in the moment, DiMaggio didn't have to deal with that. And DiMaggio didn't have to deal with 8 million different pitchers like we have today. That's why you kind of think, you know, that that record, you know, there's certain records that are obviously very different, like career records, you know, Ricky's stolen bases, you know, uh, Nolan Ryan strikeouts. This is a, a one-year record. Or, of course, you can go from one year to another, uh, and, and that still counts. But just the amount of the, – the volume of relievers that you have to deal with today pretty much makes it impossible to, to hit in 56 straight games. DiMaggio wasn't facing these guys coming out of the bullpen throwing 101 miles an hour. <laughs> now, no disrespect to Joe D. Uh, he had one of the great careers of all time. But, you know, modern-day baseball is just so different. And that's something like watching – and we'll talk to Matt Williams about that at 3.30. Like, where does he see the KBO? Is it is it comparable to big league baseball? Probably not. Is it triple A? Is it double A? Where, 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 where does he see it? But while watching the Korean Baseball League, one of the first things that stands out is they're not seeing velocity. They're not seeing anything like what we see in Major League Baseball. You're not seeing dudes coming out throwing triple digits. They're just not. And that's the that, that's what's so different. And same thing from yesteryear baseball. I mean, was it 2001? Like, you thought, like, Roger Clemens threw hard, right? Kurt Schilling's throwing hard. It's game seven. They're throwing 94-95, which is hard. But, I mean, nowadays, you're not going to be there's, – there's nobody hitting in the big leagues right now that's going to be overwhelmed by 94 miles an hour. Alex <laughs> Coffey from The Athletic, how are you? Good, good. How are you? 
we are we are doing well. We appreciate the time and uh, love the article because we recently had Dave Stewart on. Well, let, just let me tell you, it was years ago, and I don't remember what it was, exactly what year it was, where mm-hmm. Dave Stewart was on our broadcast with Ken Korak and Vince Catronio, and he was talking about Sandy Koufax taught him the forkball. And I thought it was fascinating. So we recently had him on to, to ask him about it. And the whole fork ball, the stare, and you did a deep dive on it, came from Sandy Koufax. I mean, it's just, can you imagine just being a fly on the wall, listening to the conversations between the great Dave Stewart and Sandy Koufax? No, I cannot. I cannot. And honestly, um, when Dave first mentioned it to me, he was very um, nonchalant about it. You know, he kind of like, he kind of like threw it in. I think we were, it was like a 30-minute interview about some of the A's pitching prospects, and then he's talking about the importance of intimidation and how they can, you know, be an asset for a pitcher. And um, and he was like, you know where I uh, learned to stare from, right? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if this was an established thing that everyone, like, that I was supposed to know. So, um, but he was, he was like, oh, yeah, I got that from Sandy. Like, yeah, Sandy taught me that. It was very, like, it was very... Um, didn't hype it up at all and just threw it in, in the last two minutes of the interview so it was kind of kind of funny but kept that in like the back of my head um and then uh you know everyone was like oh well, sandy's you know he's reclusive like he's not gonna want to talk for this he doesn't want to talk for anything but um i'm stubborn so i just uh asked like kept asking and then <laughs> um yeah, I guess it was like the right place, right topic kind of thing. But, but yeah, it's crazy stuff. You know what you you, you know what you find out all the time is uh, if if certain people that if they don't want to talk, and you tell them, hey, listen, I don't want to really talk about you. I want you to talk about somebody else. I think we see a lot of that with our our own A's guys. Like they don't like talking about themselves, but they love talking exactly. about their teammates. Yeah, Sandy Koufax doesn't give a lot of interviews, but if you're saying, hey, let's talk about Dave Stewart, now it becomes interesting to him. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, this is someone that he respects a lot and has spent a lot of time with and has a special relationship with, so that's undoubtedly factored in. But I really do think that, um, one, he doesn't like to talk about himself, but, two, you know, even in hearing him talk about Dave and his own experiences and how they translated to, you know, how they compared to Dave's, Dave's experiences early on in his career and their similarities and parallels. Like you can glean so much about Sandy just in hearing him talk about like someone else, you know what I mean? Like, even if he's not talking about himself directly, like the way he was talking about Dave and the way he mentored him and the way, you know, like there, you know, you can kind of glean other things through the lens of, um, his mentorship uh, of Dave. So, so yeah, it was really interesting for sure. Yeah, that is a really good point because when we look back at Sandy Koufax, we just think about the greatness. We think about how dominant he was. You think about the no hitters, but Sandy, a lot like Dave Stewart, struggled early in his career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was, it was really cool to go back in old newspaper accounts and read at the time, like what they were writing about him, you know, um, before everything was <laughs> all the like sensationalized, like, you know, Sandy, like, like from 1961 to 1966 when he was pretty much unhittable. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, I found some accounts from 1955 where, and I cite them in the story where like, you know, he's like 
throwing balls over the backstop and like you know it's they're writing that like catchers don't want to I didn't include this one in the story but like I read somewhere that catchers like no one wanted to catch him because he was so wild it was like a nightmare like he was like a high velo guy that no one wanted to like no one wanted to deal with him and um yeah I mean it's just I and I just started seeing these really obvious parallels you know um both of them contemplated walking away from the game I think at one point Sandy was thinking of doing um doing something in radio and this is pre-1961 and then Dave Dave told me that he was think, like if he had um been released by the A's after that 1976 season he would have he said he probably would have like pursued one of those football scholarships so it's like they both had that moment of um you know where they're like deciding whether to stick with it or not and they both had these role models in their lives for Dave, that was Bandy, and then eventually Dave Duncan, and then for Sandy, that's his pitching coach, Joe Becker, who kind of, like, saw something in them and, like, righted the ship, and, you know, um, and also for both of them, I mean, like, <laughs> the success was um, once they, like, found that, found made those changes, made those adjustments that they needed to make, it, it just seemed like the success was immediate, like, the effect was immediate. Um, I mean, Dave going from, like, winning no games in 1975 to winning 18 in 1977 is um, crazy to me. Like, I still can't really believe that that happened. Um, and then like, he's got his, he earned his call up in 1978. So for him, it was uh, the impact was pretty instantaneous. Yeah. And, and you know, when we look back, Dave Stewart was such a big game pitcher. I mean, he was like the man. You know, you had mm-hmm. Roger Clemens, who was so talented, and everybody knew the great talent, but it was like Roger Clemens against Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart was going to win that fight every single time. To think to what he grew into, you know, he's a three-time World Series champion, won 20 games four times, and you think about how talented those A's teams were in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, he was truly what you would call an ace. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's another parallel for you. Not the same exact, um, you know, Dave's career was longer than Sandy's, but they both had these, like, intense uh, periods of, like, crazy dominance. You know, I, I guess for Dave it was, like, you know, uh, I guess, like, four seasons in a row, um, like those 20-game, 20, 20 21 seasons. But, um, but yeah, no, that's definitely a correct assessment. And everyone I talked to for this story was just, like, it was always brought up that he – he should have won a Cy Young um, one of those one of those years that he deserved to win a Cy Young. So that's a whole other thing. But, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. So since you've come on the beat, and I think this is something that people learn as you start doing these deep dives, and especially during these times, that's what we're doing. But mm-hmm. since have you realized now just how crazy this organization has been over the years, whether you look at the seventies, you look at the eighties. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting organization, really kind of different than most. I'm just not going to say baseball, but really different from most professional organizations. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually um, had the unique opportunity to work at the baseball hall of fame. That was my first job out of college. And there are a ton of A's in the hall of fame. And, um, you know, I would write a lot of historical pieces about, you know, the Finley teams in the early 70s and even as far back as like, like Connie Mack era stuff. So I like knew a lot about um, the, the, uh, 
like early on the team's history early on i'd say like i learned more about um the like money ball teams like um you know the more recent stuff um when i when i became like a beat writer but but yeah i mean i'm, I'm constantly like unearthing crazy stuff about um about like the charlie Stanley era i feel like that is about the team's history in my mind like it's a totality um i think that that sticks out as probably the craziest um, the craziest period, period in A's history. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame three times. It's a magical mm-hmm. place. Cooperstown is magical. I like to call it like a little mini Lake Tahoe. Uh, what yeah. is it like working at the Baseball Hall of Fame? Um, well, to put things into, um, I think the best way to describe it is my second day of work um, – I was told that we were having breakfast with Ken Griffey Jr., that he was in town. So if that puts things in perspective, it's basically just like, you know, you live in this small town of a thousand people that's like tucked into the foothills of these, um, these mountains in New York, in central New York. And, um, and it's like pretty quiet, pretty quaint for the most part. And then all of a sudden like Hall of Famer will drop by and like, you know, um, and in that in that kind of setting, um, it like allows for a degree of you know you're not like flooded with people you know unless it's Hall of Fame weekend which is the busiest weekend of the year so you really get to talk to talk to them and get to know them and um, I mean for me like I was a history major in college I was um, I've always loved baseball baseball history so it was like a dream dream job um, right out the gate but um, but yeah so <laughs> I guess that's the best way to sum it up. Is it true that at night the Hall of Famers walk around and talk to each other at the at the Baseball Hall of Fame? I haven't seen that, um, but I still have sources up there, so I can I can ask them to keep an eye out. <laughs> so I in '99 I was a huge George Brett's my favorite player of all time, and I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan. And I remember being in the bullpen at San Jose State, and I told one of my teammates, I said, "Hey." When George Brett retires, we're going to the Hall of Fame to watch. And I went with my two of my best friends and my brother, and what a class it was. It was Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount, and Orlando Cepeda. That was oh, one of the biggest weekends ever. This, yeah. though, with Derek Jeter was supposed to be the biggest ever. They're going to push it back to next year. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be it, that, that net, net, next at the end of July next year, that crowd could be, I mean, I think it's going to be Kurt Schilling. Uh, Larry Walker will go in also. I, that, that weekend's going to be crazy. It will. It will. And I close friends with the woman who um, does events, like plans the entire event, and I really feel for her because that's going to be a nightmare. Um, like housing is always a big issue. Like, you know, like I said, it's such a small town and, you know, like, how like where are you putting all these not just the hall of famers but like their families and their friends and they all have like a guest list and to have to cram all those people or all those uh inductees into one one year is going to be uh i don't know how they're going to pull that off but but yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see it all unfold i definitely think that they made the right call though i mean that would have been um you know in the times that we're living in right now having like that i mean that they were anticipating that um that that crowd was going to be the biggest one ever like Derek Jeter, just because you're so close to Manhattan. People can just drive up from the city. It's like a three or four hour drive. Um, you know, so 
So that would have been, um, it would have been hordes and hordes of people coming up. Um, so I, I definitely think they made the right call there. Yeah, because if you bring Schilling into the picture now, you know, Boston's not that far away. I remember when I went, uh, one of the times I went, we flew into Albany, got a rental car, and then went up to Fenway Park, and then came back down to Yankee Stadium. Uh, so you can drive around the Northeast pretty easy. I mean, th- this could be a crowd of over 100,000 people. Yeah, yeah, no, it could. They always kind of, I, I'm always uh, giving them crap about the numbers that they post, like how they count. I'm like, are you individually counting every person? Like, there's no, there's no way. I'm just like, where do these numbers even come from? You know, like I worked in the PR department when I worked for the Hall of Fame and I still have no idea where the numbers came from. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it would be a massive, a massive crowd. Yeah, I definitely think it would be the biggest one um, um, in a while. So. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Be safe, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Yep, you too. Stay safe. Alex Coffey from The Athletic. I, I can't get enough of Sandy Koufax and Dave Stewart. That's just like, I mean, that that goes with, like, hand-in-hand hand with, like, Jordan and Ted Williams, you know, when, when you talk about greatness together. And Dave Stewart, you know, friend of the program, you know, I'm growing up and the A's were the dominant team when I was in high school and everybody gra- gravitates to the dominant team. And Dave Stewart was the leader. You gave him the ball. It was it was ball game over. Stu wasn't going five and dive, baby. Stu was taking the ball, going out to win. Give me eight and I'll bring in Eck in the ninth and it's ball game over. And that stare, hey. He's a black belt in karate. Everybody knows it. No one's no one's going out to challenge Stu. Stu would whoop your you-know-what right there in front of 50,000 people. He was menacing. And that fork ball just, you know, when you got those big hands and big fingers, that thing just dived. Because Stu wasn't blowing you away with 98. I mean, he was in the 90s. But when you're throwing that fork ball, it makes that fastball seem like it's 95-96. I doubt, Cody, you got a a, a, a lot of air time because what you reborn? 1988. Yeah, so you didn't see Stu at the height of where he was just the ultimate game, big game pitcher. It's what he was. That's why it's like, have we really dived into him as a Hall of Famer? Not really. I mean, he, we know he has the. I mean, he has a lot of wins. He had what four straight twenty win seasons. Uh, that's pretty pretty impressive to have four straight. We don't even see guys win. It's hard to see guys win twenty games in a season this year. Although the Astros had two guys do it last year with Cole and Verlander, but you know when you're Cy Young guy, Mister Back to Back, who made his debut on this date six years ago, Jacob Degrom, only winning eleven games and winning the Cy Young. It's hard to quantify by having guys back in yesteryear and Stu's time win twenty games four years in a row. Yeah, one year he's twenty one and nine. So he went 20 and 13, 21 and 12, 21 and 9, 22 and 11. So four straight years he's winning 20 games. Four straight years he led baseball in starts. I mean, look at this year. One year he went 275 and two thirds innings. Another year he went 200. So he's one. I mean, you want you want a guy to give you length? 261 and a third, 275 and two thirds. 257 and two-thirds, and then he went 267 innings. I mean, that's what an eight, and then he went 226. 
It's it's really hard to believe he didn't win a Cy Young award. It really so his overall record is one sixty eight and one twenty nine. But his time in Oakland, his dominance, he was one nineteen and seventy eight in Oakland. I mean that's dominant. I mean Dave Stewart, you gave him the ball. I want to check his postseason because I bet now I haven't never looked at this, but I bet the postseason. Yeah, in the postseason he's ten and six. With a 2.77 ERA, is that any good? I'd say he won a couple big games in his career. I won, I don't. I don't. Yeah. He may have won a World Series or two, but how about this in the ALCS? Dave Stewart's eight and zero with a 2.03 ERA in the ALCS. And of course, the MVP of the ALCS and the MVP of the World Series in 1989 you know that's for the Giants you know you got to face Dave Stewart you know because of the earthquake you got to face him twice two times in three games at the height of his power good luck I mean that's just good luck but yeah what a it, it is a treat at these times that we're able to go into these stories and go back into history and, and, and learn about our great game. And the article is really good. I'm telling you right now, if you like good journalism, subscribe to The Athletic. I know people don't like subscriptions anymore. I get it. You don't want to get the newspaper. I just, if you're a sports fan, it's not that expensive. And they cover sports, whether you want NFL, NBA, hockey, baseball, college football, college basketball. They, the Athletic does a really good job. And it goes to show that if you do something quality, you can have long articles. You know, they tried to get everybody do everything shorter. Do shorter interviews. Do and 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 that's what all the consultants were saying. And the athletic said, you know what? We're not doing that. We're gonna go back to old school journalism. Some of their articles are really long, but during these times, you got nothing else to do. I really I don't know about you, Cody, but I really appreciate what the and I've told Tim, Tim Kawakami this uh back in my days of covering the Warriors. I remember running into him going, Hey man. You guys are doing a bang-up job. Like, I really enjoy, you know, and our guy Eno Saris, uh, Evan Drellich. Think about the news. Ken Rosenthal, friend of the program. Uh, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich have broken so much news recently, whether it's Astros, baseball. They're ahead of the curve on just about everybody these days. Yeah, and they, Evan puts out new stuff all the time that's incredible, along with Ken Rosenthal. They they have a lot of good writers, and you know Alex Kim on board, and she does great deep dives and everything. The Athletic is is great for a lot of stuff. Like Jim Bowden does a lot of great stuff breaking down the different positions, and he had a great article about the DH, well, how it can affect teams, and what teams will be doing well with the DH. So I really appreciate the stuff you can get on the Athletic because you're right. There's a lot of time to read stuff right now if you don't feel like reading a book. Although some of the articles on there are like reading a book, but that's a good thing because there's a lot of information in the process. So I appreciate all the work they do because now if you look at different websites now, they like ESPN, they give you information, 
But when they give you the information, they also – the articles are a lot shorter where you can get a lot more information by having the free-form um, opportunity like they do with The Athletic. So on this day, May fifteenth, 1941, this historic streak did not start out with anything that impressive. This is the date that Joe DiMaggio started his all-time record 56-game hitting streak. Now, what happened in the game? Joe only went one for four, and the Yankees got pounded by the White Sox 13 to one. So it's not like, oh, man, something special is about to happen. (laughs) They got whooped. He would go on to hit 408, 15 home runs, and 55 RBIs in 56 games. Basically an RBI a game. Now, what's crazy about that is Ted Williams at the same time, what did Ted hit during those 56 games? What did he hit? He hit like 412? Yeah, he hit 412. Now, Joe DiMaggio hit 408 with the uh, 15 homers and 55 RBIs. I went back and looked. That was 91 hits that Joe had during that that hit the historic hitting streak that we will probably never see broken uh, at 56 games. And it's crazy. DiMaggio won the MVP that year, although Ted Williams hit 406 for the season and led in like four or like six different categories. Oh, but- I got him for you. How about this? You want to talk about getting snubbed. Ted had the most home runs, 37. He scored the most runs at 135. He drove in 120. He led baseball with a 406 average. He walked the most, 147. His on-base percentage, you don't win the MVP and your on-base percentage is 553. Your slugging is 735. I'll add that up for you. His OPS was 1,287. And his OPS plus was 235. And he didn't win the MVP. <laughs> it's incredible. So he led baseball in runs, home runs, walks, batting average, on-base slugging, OPS, and OPS+. And he intentional walks, 25. You put it up, but now you, you hit 406, and you don't even win the MVP. It's not, a, it's not good. I mean, it's, it's not good because he should have won the MVP. He hit 406 at 22. It's not like he was like 35 years. He did it when he was only he was 22 years old before. Now him and Joe both went and served in the military. But I mean, come on, 406. He let. I mean, I have everything in front of me too. Like it's incredible to think that the numbers that he put up in that year in 1941. Because DiMaggio lost a hitting streak. I believe it was on July. What was it? July 17th versus the Indians in a game started by a pitcher named Al Smith, who ended up losing the game because the Yankees won the game. But DiMaggio lost a hitting streak on July 17, 1941, and it started on this date in 1941. Uh, do you want a list of the guys who have the uh, longest hitting streaks since then? Well, let me just say this. It's something like after that game where Joe D went over, then he started another hitting streak that was like 30-something games. It, it, it Really, when you look at the streak, it's, it, it, it's, it's literally – one game he hitting like 80 something games it's crazy yeah so 
The active – so Pete Rose, which you already know. How many how many games did Pete Rose hit in consecutively in 1978? 44. The next is Paul Molitor at 39 games in 1987. Then Jimmy Rollins got to 38 games between 2005 and 2006. The most recent would be a friend of ours who's been on this program. He did it from 2018, September 2018, till now. That'd be the great Whit Merrifield hit – in 31 consecutive games. So that was the record last year. 31 games. Uh, that's still, if I do my math, my California University of Pennsylvania math rate, that's still 25 games behind Joe DiMaggio's record. So, Joe D. So after, so as we said, it's the streak stops. He then starts another streak. Joe DiMaggio hit a base hit 72 of 73 games. Is that any good? It's uh, pretty impressive for a guy that won the MVP that year. He probably shouldn't have, but who are we to argue about that going back to 1941? I, you know, now that you think about it, dude, you hitting 72 of 73 games. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just I, – I don't care how many pitch different – I don't – whatever. The fact that you got 72 out of 73. Now, the other thing we haven't even brought up yet is they didn't shift back in the day. Now, I don't know. I mean, Joe DiMaggio didn't strike out. I mean, you look at Joe DiMaggio's numbers. Joe DiMaggio has more home runs than strikeouts. That's one of the uh, great things about his career. Is he's truly one of the most efficient dudes to have ever lived. Uh, let me see here. Uh, where's strikeouts? I hate how baseball reference went loads. Uh, strikeouts. Joe DiMaggio had 369 strikeouts and he had 389 home runs. How many guys have more home runs than strikeouts? Uh, I mean, you want to talk about efficient in 13 years, which is not, you know, as you said, Cody, he lost three years to military service. Joe DiMaggio in just 13 years drove in 1,537. I mean, he was such a player. I mean, you, you you have more you have more home runs than you do strikeouts. And remember, her old Yankee Stadium, it wasn't easy to hit it out as a right-hander. It's truly one of the most impressive careers. Joe D, former A's coach from Martinez, California. Coming up next, Joe D was a great player. So was Willie Mays. John Shea, our national baseball writer of the San Francisco Chronicle, will join me to talk about his new book, the guy who played in 24 All-Star games. We're talking Willie Mays and baseball next, right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Did it work? We'll see. We'll see if it worked. But uh, I'm not hearing it. All right. Well, then I think we might have and figured. Look at you. And you know what? Typical of Cody, my producer, blaming my home studio, blaming me. It's on your end, this hissing. Well. And whose end was it on? Well, we think it was mine. I don't know why it was mine, though. Like, nothing's changed. The last two months, nothing's changed on my setup. I know. 
It's crazy. The computer stays in the exact same spot on my table. <laughs> so we apologize for that hissing sound. I, I literally, while we were doing the show, I, I've been like unplugging and moving cords and trying to figure out why is this going on while we're doing the interviews. And then, and it was weird because when we talked, you couldn't hear it. It's when there was a pause. How's it sounding? We're good. We're good. We're good? Yeah, we got it. That's a stand-up effort on myself, yourself, uh, Bruce, and Joey. We all worked through this, and uh, we're able to go mid-broadcast, restart the computer, and get us back before we even playing the interview. To, <laughs> I, I was about to get desperate and go get my wife's computer. I, was, I mean, I was like, is it my computer? I've worked on every – you know what? How many times in life do you just have to restart the computer? You have problems, you hit restart. Same thing with your phone, you restart. Can you imagine if your car worked like a a a computer? Well, they kind of do times? now. <laughs> They're kind of getting but, trending that way. <laughs> you expect every single time you go out to your car that you turn it on and it's going to work. Uh, fact that and that's my fault. My computer had Google open, so there's a chat message. You know. Willie Mays, the numbers are are insane. I mean, to have a player with 660 home runs hit 302 for 2,062 runs, 1,903 RBIs, 338 stolen bases, 3,283 hits. I mean, he's a complete player. Rookie of the year, two-time MVP, 24-time All-Star. Of course, they did two All-Star games at the time in a year. 12-time Gold Glove. I mean, you just name it. This guy did it all. He's considered one of the – and he's not a big guy either. Willie Mays, they got him listed at 5'10", 170 pounds, but the strength and the power is unbelievable. Good friend of the program, John Shea, has written a book about Willie Mays, and we were able to catch up with John to talk about what it was like working with co-author of a book with Willie Mays. Here is John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, now joining us, he's our national baseball writer here in the Bay Area from the San Francisco Chronicle. He's one of my favorite San Diego State Aztecs to go along with Tony <laughs> Gwynn and Michael Cage. And he's the author, along with Willie Mays. How cool is this? The book is 24. Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. The great John Shea is with us. John, I miss you. How are you? I can't go to the yard. I can't see you. What is up? How are you? I know. It's it's just brutal. But, I mean, if there was ever a good time for a book to come out where people have a lot of time on their hands, I mean, you can. I'm looking at it right now. You can get it on Amazon.com, delivered to your house. Uh, we talk, We just recently talked about Willie Mays. Because, uh, you know, we were airing all these different uh, World Series from the 70s and watching Willie Mays at 42 years old in the World Series in 1973. And we were, we did a deep dive on his stats. And uh, Willie Mays, his numbers are just incredible. So everyone knows about war, right? Every You know, it's a new stat. It's not going away. It, it wasn't around in Willie's time, but it you know, includes your offense, it includes your defense, it includes your base running. It's an all-encompassing all-encompassing stat. And 
a 10 war in one season, pretty good, right? Great season, like yeah. MVP, epic season. It's been done nine times since 2000, nine or 10 times since 2000 by hitters. Bonds did it three times. Trout did it three times. Three or four other guys did it once. Well, Mays, in his five-tool prominence, averaged a 10 war over a seven-year stretch in the 60s. Averaged 10 war. So he was having monster seasons every year. There's a great quote from Bill James that he gave me. He's a great the godfather of uh, the analytic movement, right? I mean, he was on the ground floor of advanced data. In his quote, he says, Willie Mays' best season is every year. Just pick one. They're all great. <laughs> yeah, he's he's and he's also very unique, you know, for great Dodger players. Uh, and, uh, of course, you think of Vin Scully, guys that starred in New York and then they come to California. It's like you start in some of the biggest markets and you played in multiple markets. So you're a star on the East Coast. And you're a star on the West Coast. It's you know, it's it really had never been done before, and it fits him. Hank Aaron, Milwaukee, Atlanta. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't as flashy as Willie. Willie loved to entertain. Hank wasn't out there as much as Willie. In fact, he told me in a chapter, Hank on Willie, Willie on Hank, that he couldn't do the things Willie did, and he'd even try to do the things Willie did because they were so far removed from what he did. And he was a steady, great performer doing things right making the right play well willie didn't hit the cutoff man he threw over the cutoff man because he thought he had a chance to get the guy at the plate or third base and and he made more errors because of it he took a lot more chances but that was his stick he wanted to entertain the basket catch the the the, uh, hat uh, flying off first to third it was everything and willie loved that about he, he he didn't just play because it was a job or a business he played because he was a little kid at heart and always wanted to have fun and and nobody showed more joyful exuberance than Willie Mays yeah I I think it was a tell-all it's game one of the 1973 World Series that Met team wasn't very good it's hard to believe they even got to the World Series but the game game one's in Oakland and Yogi Bear is the manager and they announce the teams, and each guy runs out. And when Willie Mays, at 42 years old, gets introduced, gets a standing ovation in in Oakland, and they pause. I've never seen this before at a World Series, where they pause to allow Willie to get his due. That just tells you an opposing player showing up in a World Series and 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 in the way ballpark to get a standing ovation and to allow it to to go on for a while kind of tells you the appreciation people had for his career. Yeah, and you know how Barry Bonds was received at different ballparks. Shoot, A's fans booed Isaro, and uh, Gary Sheffield when he came across the bay in San Francisco. I mean, there's certain guys that just got booed everywhere. Well, Mays, despite beating up on these teams series after series was not booed at Ebbets Field, was not booed at Dodger Stadium. He was applauded. In fact, his final game before going into the military in May of 1952, after his Rookie of the Year season in 51, was at Ebbets Field. He made an out late in the game, ran off the field, got a standing ovation because everybody knew he was going to move on. 
after that. He was going to miss time. And Dodger fans stood and cheered. And this is only after one season in the big leagues. And he only hit 260 his first year, but he hit some home runs. He made great plays in the outfield. He's the kind of guy you don't take your eye off, not just at the plate, but when he's out in center. But that A series was his final days in the big leagues. He's 42 years old. And he kind of wanted to retire after his first season with the Mets. Remember, uh, the Giants won the West in 71, and age 40, Willie was really good still. 18 home runs, 23 out of 26 steals, led the National League in on-base percentage, led him in walks, number three hitter on the team that won the division. The following May, he's traded to the Mets. <laughs> and he goes on and has, like, the best OPS on the team. Well, he was ready to hang him up then, but Joan Payson, the owner of the Mets, said, I'll play another year. He said, ah, whatever, okay, I'll play another year. But in that last year, first time in his life he ever went on the disabled list. He had shoulder, he had knee, he had ribs, all these issues, and he hardly played in September. And fast forward to the World Series, he's in the lineup for game one because uh, Rusty Staub has a bum shoulder. He gets a hit, and the uh, A's win the opener. So game two, that's the game that everybody points to. That's the one the Mets win in extra innings. Willie gets the game-winning hit in the 12th. But that's the game everybody points to as you don't want to be Willie Mays. You don't want to play that long. You've you got to retire when you're on top. Don't play too long, all this stuff, right? Well, you know, back in the day, they had no pension plan. I mean, people played because they loved the game. How long did Ricky Henderson play, <laughs> right? independent ball in his 40s. I used to joke with him. I said, Ricky, you're going to miss your Hall of Fame induction because you're going to have a game, you know? And and these guys, they, you know, you love to play. Why knock it? But anyway, Willie had a couple of falls in the in that series, and there's a great picture of him on his knees at the plate arguing with Augie Donatelli, okay? So those are the images. Willie falling, Willie arguing at the plate. So I took a real deep dive into that series and found a lot more to it than that and talking to reggie jackson about the sun talking to raleigh fingers ray fossey uh vita blue all these folks on both sides Cranepool, kuzman Mays himself and there's a lot more to the story than that stuff that i detail and you, people might have second thoughts about you know, condemning or using Willie as as that example because there were a lot of different circumstances that that led to those things. And hey, if he if he fell when he was 25, nobody you know, nobody would have remembered it. But he falls at 42 and says, "Oh, you shouldn't be Willie Mays." But there's a lot more to the story, which is in the book. What was it like spending that much time with a living legend? Well, it was an honor and a privilege and all the cliches, you know, pinch yourself every day. It's uh, hanging out in the room with the say, Hey kid, uh, it's, it's an awesome experience. And having returned to the Bay area after covering the Padres throughout most of the eighties and coming back in 88, you know, I'd been on the giants and A's over the decades here. And Willie came back to the organization in 86 and he was always around. I mean, Chris, how many Hall of Famers are always in the clubhouse pregame? Last month in spring training, Willie was at every home game at Scottsdale Stadium pregame. 
you know, just in case the player wants to hang out or a coach or a manager or a writer. Um, you know, he'd hold court, he'd talk and help, guide, mentor. That's what he did. And he loves the ballpark experience. But it was awesome, Chris. I mean, come on. It was, we, we figured the math and we spent more than 100 hours together on the project. And I ended up interviewing more than 200 others to supplement his stories and to come back. Uh, you know, this, this is what Hank Aaron told me. This is what Frank Robinson told me. This is what Bill Clinton and George W. Bush told me. This is what Huey Lewis told me. This is uh, what McCovey, Cepeda, and the Alus, um, Bobby Richardson, Ralph Terry, Vince Scully, uh, Bob Costas. So I bring the, you know, I, it, it's all exclusive information. There's no bibliography, uh, nothing in between, between quotes, quotes you, you'd see in another book or, or publication. So it's all, it's all fresh material. And the key was Willie giving me the access. I remember the first time I interviewed him. The book, by the way, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, co-authors Willie Mays and John Shea. Uh, so my grandfather played with Willie in New York in 1952. And it was at the end of my wow. grandfather's career. And I remember going, I was so nervous to interview him. I was really young. It was early in my career. And I told him who my grandfather was. And I, it was a great, I went, it's on some cassette tape somewhere in my garage, but it was like, it was like, wow, I'm interviewing Willie Mays. And I'm thinking about all the time you spent with him. What's the one thing that you didn't know? And you went, wow. Well, the chapter 17 is devoted to, to race and the issues he experienced. And, and there's a lot in other chapters, but this is devoted exclusively to that. I mean, think about Willie Mays. He graduates in May of 1950 from high school in Fairfield, Alabama. A year later, the following May, he's the center fielder for the New York Giants at the Polo Ground, playing for Leo DeRocher beside Bobby Thompson and all these guys. Not, I mean, as a sophomore, junior, and senior, there was no high school baseball team at his high school. He, baseball was his third sport. He was a wonderful quarterback and a great shooting guard. But baseball was number three. They had football team and they had basketball team, but they didn't have baseball team. Uh, the kids usually would play in local leagues and go to other regions and play those teams. Willie Mays? No, he's playing in the Negro Leagues with men in their 20s and early 30s. That's how good he was. And he was the starting center fielder on the Birmingham Black Barons that played in the final Negro League World Series in 1948. He also played for him in 49 and 50. And a few days after graduation in 50 in May, the Giants signed him. So Willie tells me, imagine Willie going from the Negro Leagues to the Interstate League, the Trenton Giants, Class B. He's the only African-American man on the team and in the entire league. And he's a kid, right? So imagine it's three years after Jackie broke the color barrier. And Willie's hearing the same darn things that Jackie heard, um, except on you know a lower level in the minors. He couldn't eat with the team. He couldn't stay at the team hotel. Uh, he, he dressed alone. And Willie tells me in private, he says, I just didn't know if it was worth it. And that kind of blew me away. I, I'm, I'm imagining right away, I said, what do you mean? No Willie Mays? If he goes back to Birmingham and works with his dad in the mills, 
or plays with the Black Barons for a couple of more years and hangs them up, the world wouldn't have met or been introduced to or had the pleasure to watch Willie Mays. But luckily, unfortunately for all of us, you know, he was, he overcame and beat the biggest and over, you know, just moved forward and uh, became the Willie Mays that we all know and admire. And I mean, you know, it's, it's the stuff Mickey Mantle never had to go through. And they were pretty much the same guy, born in the same year, uh, debuting in 51, same city, playing the same position. Mickey was across the river, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he just never had to go through anything like, like Willie did, but Willie came out on top. Yeah, what those guys did, you know, Larry Doby, you throw him in there, and I always encourage people, if you're ever in Kansas City, to go to the Negro League Museum. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, these guys, what they did, it changed the world. It changed the military. It changed so much. You can learn so much at this museum. Once again, the book is 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. Uh, let's talk a little baseball. So when we get this thing going again, hopefully sooner than later, it's going to be different. You know, it looks like we're going to have a, a universal DH. There's going to be no fans in the stands. I mean, there's going to be some changes, John. Yeah, everything that baseball wanted to push through, uh, they just might push through because the public and the country is so hungry for baseball to return under the right circumstances once the doctors and the scientists and not the politicians okay this stuff and they say play ball, well, baseball is going to play ball. And you're right. Uh, I, I've heard very little argument or debate about a universal DH in a normal world, if they said, oh, by the way, the National League will have a DH this year, it would have been chaos in the streets. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, but now, if you know, they want a, a, a robo-up behind the plate, we're going to have a robo-up behind the plate. Okay, no, it's, it's distancing, okay? But I still can't picture a catcher crouching two feet behind a batter. That's not distancing. I mean, the outfielders are separated, infielders separated, pitchers out there all alone. And I'm thinking the catcher is right there. Uh, everybody in the dugout, in the bullpen, they're bunched up. And you see it in Korea, but they've had better success than we've had. And uh, it, <laughs> hey, if, if Major League Baseball announced tomorrow that, hey, we changed the rule, by the way. The, uh, the batter is not going to run to first base after he hits it. He's going to run to third base. The public is so hungry, they would say, oh, okay, just bring it on. Yeah, and I can tell you, watching Korean baseball, uh, a couple of these games, I mean, after you watch a couple innings, you kind of don't even notice or even care that there are no fans. You're just, you're just happy to be watching a guy throwing a baseball and a guy hitting it and a guy fielding it. It's just whether the fans are there or not, it becomes irrelevant. And face it, more people watch it on TV than go to the games. So that's not going to be any different. It's just the experience of, bringing your kid, bring, going with your parent, whatever it is, buddies, uh, you know, it's just not going to happen for a while. And that's just the way of the world. But, you know, we tend to adjust fast, you know, the, the reasonable thinking people anyway. And if it's made for TV, it's made for TV. So it's going to be odd for these guys. I talked to somebody, a couple of players who were in that Orioles game uh, you know, 15, when there were no fans. There was civil unrest in Baltimore, and they played a game, and nobody attended. Attendance, zero. 
And Jeff Samarja, you know, former ace pitcher, now with the Giants, said that was that was a pretty tough thing, um, Chicago at the time. And I wouldn't recommend it. But listen, it's you know, all bets are off. Uh, if it means playing baseball, it means playing baseball. And hopefully that time will come, you know, sooner rather than later that fans can go out there. But for the time being, for the safety of them, for the safety of the players, uh, all the workers, um, Browns crew, coaches, staff, trainers, uh, there will be no fans at the beginning. That's going to be the oddest thing. But you know what? I think once you start playing ball, you kind of phase the fans out anyway. Right. I mean, in the moment, in the heat of battle, the pitcher never hears the fan. The batter never hears the fan, you know, for in large part. That's what they say. That's what they tell us. But what's going to be odd is if you hit a big home run and there's nobody cheering except for your teammates in the dugout. That's going to be the oddity of it all. But you know what? I bet it's going to be uh, very celebratory and uh, animated and. These, these players are going to be so tickled to get on the field and do what they do best. And they're knowing that everybody's watching at home. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more celebrations than we used to see, especially in the wake of what they're doing in Korea. They celebrate everything. <laughs> I know. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> let, 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 let's end on this uh, from an A's standpoint. Of course, you cover all of baseball, including the A's and the Giants. You know, there was a big question in spring training. How much are you going to be able to pitch Jesus Lazardo? How much are you going to be able to pitch A.J. Puck? But now in a shortened season, it's kind of like all bets are off, and it's like, hey, these guys can now take the ball every five days, and we don't have to worry about inning, innings limits. How big is that going to be for the green and gold? That's, that's a great thought because the, the, the beauty of the season was supposed to be this young rotation. Uh, that was just going to outpitch recent rotations by far because the offense is there, the defense is there. Uh, the, the bullpen has been off and on. When they do well, the bullpen's right there. But the rotation, hey, it, it'd be great to get guys going six innings instead of four or five. Six or seven would be wonderful. And if these kids, if they're doing all the work that they're supposed to be doing and they come out after three weeks of spring training and, and they're on fire, that could be pretty good stuff for the A's, especially. Um, Luzardo and Puck. Uh, they're deeper than that, obviously. They go five deep, if not further. But it's, it's you know, it, it might be a thing if uh, if you can trust uh, Stratomatic <laughs> and Appa and all the card and dice games that we're seeing being played. Um, on paper, they're an awfully good team. And it's just a matter of whether those young starters, which, you know, they're not going to have April and May and June to season themselves for July, August, and September, it's just going to be July, August, and September. So they're going to show up, and they're going to be in a pennant race. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be wild. The book, 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays and John Shea. John, I always appreciate your time, and hopefully we will uh, – hopefully soon, I don't know when, but we'll see, you at a, we'll see you over at the Oakland Coliseum. Or else on Zoom. <laughs> you take care buddy and good luck with the book thank you so much chris john shea he's really good and he sent me a uh, copy of the book via a text and i can't wait to start diving into the book because obviously i have time but whenever you can read about greatness 
Now, Willie Mays, I mean, and, and, and all you got to do is watch game one of the 1973 World Series in Oakland, and Willie Mays gets introduced, hitting third at 42 years old, and got a standing ovation from the Oakland crowd. He is greatness. And people will tell you, watch it, he was so smart. Uh, he would position, like, he would position the outfielders based on the hitter. There wasn't like a coach. You know, we see these guys, they have they have their, the outfielders will look underneath their cap and they'll have the defensive alignment there. Have you, have you noticed that, Cody, when guys do that? Yeah, I do. And it's, I mean, I know what's going on, but some fans might not. So I'm glad you, you said that because, You'll see a lot of guys look at their cap and then they line up differently. And, you know, we've we've discussed this before. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the four-man outfield. So we see these different alignments. What do you think Willie Mays would have thought of the four-man outfield? Hey, he's Willie Mays. You're, he's the only guy you need. He, he, he's he got your foul pole to foul pole. I was going to say, he'd be making every catch over the shoulder, no matter where it was hit. He, just, he was like, just get out of the way. I'm, it's a four-man outfield. It's really a one-man outfield. I'll take care of everything. Uh, I, I do I do like that, though. Can you imagine pitching in the All-Star game and you've got, like, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Stan Musial all in the lineup having to go through those guys? Uh, good luck. Good luck. I don't care if you're Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. Well, but they would have been on those guys' team. Oh, yeah. Okay, you, you said you said Mays. Okay, so Bob Feller, uh, who else was good in the you know during that time? Whitey Ford. Uh, <laughs> the chairman of the board. Yeah, all, all these guys. I mean, I mean, Vita, Catfish. I mean, come on. Oh, those all-star games. The, the, the names are just off the charts. It literally is unbelievable. What was it? Was it the 71 all-star game in Detroit when they had so many Hall of Famers in that game? Like, you're looking at the National League. You know, yeah, you got Willie Mays. You got Hank Aaron. Stan, uh, you got Johnny Bench. I gotta look that up. What, what do we yeah. got? You know, since I redid my uh, oh, we got Tom Hamilton coming up. Hold on, well, let's say 71 all star. I have it right here. You got Mays, Hank Aaron, Joe Torrey, Pops, Willie Stargell, Willie McCovey, Johnny Bench, Glenn Beckert, Bud Harrelson, and Doc Ellis as the starter. I don't know if he was on LSD or not during that game. And then the AL all stars was Rod Carew, Bobby Mercer. Yaz, Frank Robinson, Norm Cash, Brooks Robinson, Bill Freehan, Luis Aparicio, and Vita Blue as a starting pitcher for the American League All-Star team. Uh, On the bench as a backup Reggie. catcher. As a backup catcher. Not Dave Duncan. Not Thurman Munson. Ooh, Raymond, Raymond Fossey. Is it, this is the one at Detroit, right? Uh, let's see. Where was this game played at? Um, yes, Tiger Stadium. The game took two hours and five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and there was ten total runs scored. Think about that. Oh, God. The good old days. The good old days. All righty. We are in the AL Central. And today we're covering the Cleveland Indians. Commander, can you guess how good the Indians were against your Detroit, as you like to say, Tigers? 
they were, I th- want to say, 18-1 and one versus my Taggers last year uh, in 2019. 18-1. and one. That's worse. That's better than the Orioles or the Yankees against the Orioles. I mean, that – and here, let me give you two statistics on the Indians for uh, Francisco Lindor. 284. Lindor's team-leading batting average in 2019. But if you put anybody on base – he hit just 202 with runners in scoring position. That doesn't sound like a guy I want to give 300 million to. No. Uh I mean, he's a great player and he's young, the smile, the charisma, the everything. But yeah, that's uh that wasn't very good and another guy for them too, Jose Ramirez who people love and he's a gr- a great player too. He struggled the first half of the year for them last year. He came on strong second half. But those two guys are who are supposed to carry that offense along with the Franimal, Fran Mil Reyes. Well, you have Shane. Don't call me Justin Bieber. Who? Clevenger should be healthy, ready to rock. And that's something that we just talked to John Shea about is, is you know, pitching in, in 2020 is going to be so different because now we're talking like an 80-game schedule. So you're coming right out of the gate. There is no... There is no oh it's it's a long, it's a marathon not a sprint no this is a full on sprint and to watch every game you can't blow a game it's going to be fascinating to watch how managers manage you know once we get a start time I can't wait to have Bob Melvin back on to talk about this you know you don't need to baby Jesus Lazardo or AJ Puck if you have young pitching you know no innings limits. You're going out there every five days. You're probably going to have more pitchers to work with because you know you're, you're going to be worried about getting guys hurt. So the roster is probably going to be. We have we have not got a for sure what the roster number will be. Is that correct? That's correct. And and Buster only had the new piece out today talking about you and I talked about it a little bit before we came on, but Buster mentioned how you could see a lot more younger guys pitching. Like he used the example of Nate Pearson from the T- Toronto Blue Jays or Mackenzie Gore. And what the what Bob Townsend's Padres where, you know, if you only play 80 games or 82 games and, you know, these guys play and they agree and they play 82 games over 90 days, they only get credited for those 90 days, not the full year. So if you're looking to keep guys down in the minors with service time, call up Mackenzie Gore, call up Pearson, call up, you know, some of these top-tier arms in baseball, call up Casey Mize with the, tag, the Tigers, my Tigers. Use them because you're not, they're not getting the full – according to Buster, they wouldn't get the uh, full year of service time. So it's Bring them up. All right, Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. As I'm reading that, Something just popped up on my phone. NBA PA president Chris Paul confirms that NBA players want to finish the season. But for now, virus is in control. Everybody's trying to figure out how do we get this thing started. Also, report the 2020 MLB draft will take place via video conference June 10th and 11th but change is still possible. 
All some stuff that's kind of come down today. Tom Hamilton is one of the great voices in Major League Baseball. He's got that great call. Swung on it, belted. He's screaming it. (laughs) He's really good. We're talking Indians. They were 93 and 69 last year and didn't even make the playoffs. Hard to believe. 96 and 97 wins for the Athletics and the Rays. That is what got you into the wild card game. Is Cleveland done? Is it time for a rebuild? Do they think they can win? Here is the legendary voice of the tribe, Tom Hamilton. Well, he's one of the legends in our game. He's one of the great baseball announcers, of course, also doing basketball in college. Tom Hamilton of the Cleveland Indians is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, Tom? Well, very good, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate the the kind words, um, but uh, I, I think you may have exaggerated there, but thank you nonetheless. And uh, now we're doing good and, you know, just thankful that uh, all of us, for the most part, including our four children who are all over the country, are healthy. And uh, you're more grateful for that than uh, we probably ever realized in our lives. So hope the same is true for you folks in the Bay Area fans. And, uh, you know, it's just real. And you, you wake up every morning going, um, okay, when is this nightmare over? And, uh, you know, it just kind of continues. You know, you have one of the great home run calls. And I bet if you could ask any Indian fan uh, what they're missing the most, I, I bet that would be <laughs> it, your home run call. I, it, it's fa- And I've been in a booth next to you, and listening to you do that call, it's phenomenal. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's certainly nothing planned. It you know you don't go into a game, or at least I don't. And 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 the other thing is that I never call home runs the same. I think you get noted um, for calling them a certain way, even though you may not do them all the same way. I think the worst thing you can do in this business is oh, I've got my home run call all teed up here and you know, the shortstop makes the catch and, you know, you look like a clown. So you just kind of try to let the game dictate where you go. And, and, uh, and I've, I've been fortunate boy when back in the nineties, uh, you know, the nice thing about those teams, when you saw a ball hit, you never had to wonder, was it a home run or not? Because it was usually 20 rows up. So, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to, to cover some really good teams here with the ball club and, uh, and and certainly remember my first years 1990 going out to the Oakland Coliseum and going would it be ever nice to come out here and win one game once and not always get swept by those juggernaut Oakland A's teams and the Bash Brothers back then you know you think back and we're watching a lot of classic games and you think about those Indian teams in the 90s it's really hard, and I know we, you know, for, for our younger listeners out there, uh, those teams are so stacked with Hall of Famers, legendary names. Uh, we got a chance to interview Sandy Alomar Jr. in Las Vegas in spring training when the A's were taking on the Indians. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that, that not one of those teams won a World Series because they had so much talent. Yeah, I, I agree, Chris. I think that's one of the the disappointments, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure even Oakland fans now, fortunately they, they got that world series. Although I'm sure some people always look at that and go, 
well, we never really got to celebrate it because of the earthquake and, and how that even kind of uh, put a tinge on that World Series because you folks were dealing with so much else in the Bay Area that baseball seemed secondary. And, uh, but Oakland got that one. And, you know, it, it's like anything else. People probably feel those clubs should have won more. Uh, but, you know, you, it, it just goes to show whether you were those juggernauts with the Oakland A's or the Indians in the 90s. Boy, you get to October and all bets are off. And I, and I think that's also what makes our sport um, so special. In, in some ways, our playoffs remind me a little bit of the National Hockey League playoffs where, you know, it, it, you never really know. You get a hot goalie and the next thing you know, the eighth seed is in the Stanley Cup finals. And you're like, how the heck did that happen? And in baseball come October, you know, our 97 team um, got to game seven of the World Series and, and lost it in the ninth inning and into extra innings to the Marlins. And, and I would tell you that that 97 team was, you know, one of the least impactful clubs that we had back in the 90s. And yet it got that close. And even in 2016, Chris, uh, the Indians get to game seven in that, you know, really historical World Series with the Cubs. And that team did it without three starting pitchers, you know, and, and you were basically down to Corey Kluber and, and Josh Tomlin and somehow got to game seven with the Cubs. And the next year in 2017, you win 22 in a row and get bumped out in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, the one thing, the, the longer you're in this game, the more you realize just get to October um, because you, you just don't know what's going to happen in the major league playoffs, which is why if we do get back playing this year, Chris, with the expanded playoffs, with now the best of three wild card series that seems to be in the offing, should we get to a baseball season? Can you imagine what this October might look like in baseball compared to other Octobers? It truly will be unpredictable. You know, two years ago, the Yankees won 100 games and the A's won 97. We're in the wild card game. Last yeah. year, the A's win 97. The Rays win 96. And your Indians win 93. You win 93 games. You're not even in the playoffs. This is crazy. Not in the playoffs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I think that was also the one thing about last year and kind of the one thing that concerns me about what we've had here the last few years, Chris, is the haves and the have-nots. We just haven't had much of a gray area. Um, you know, you have either teams winning 100 games or losing 100 games. That's not good for the game. You know, our division last year and uh, really the last couple of years have had three teams rebuilding at the same time, the White Sox, Royals, and Tigers. Uh, you can go back a few years before that, and three years in a row, the Central Division had the World Series representative, either the Kansas City Royals or the Cleveland Indians. So I know that's all cyclical in our game, but um, I hope the one thing that maybe comes out of all of this and when we eventually have a new CBA is that, Chris, we get back to, look, um, not everybody can be a contender every year. We get that. But I, I think what we've got to be really careful of is just having teams going to spring training with no hope, not only for that year, but for the next five years. That, to me, is not good for the game. And, and I think it's led to some of what you just mentioned, 
where you've got teams with 98 and 100 wins playing in a wild card game? How the heck does that happen? <laughs> I know. It's just, it, it's crazy. And then I also think of Christian Yelich signing that extension with Milwaukee. And some people criticize <laughs> him, but I mean, it's like, come on, yeah. You, you know, when you have to, when you when when you got over two hundred million in the bank, you you and your family yep. are going to be fine. And I think about Lindor and how special he is, and what he means to the team. We have no idea if there'll even be a trading deadline this year, but I, I would like to see him stay in Cleveland. I want to see teams like for us, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon. You know, I I, I want to see us keep our players that the fans love. What do you think long-term is in the future for, for Francisco Lindor? Well, first off, I, I, I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly with you. I'm from Wisconsin, and while I'm not a Brewers fan now, I was thrilled for that city and that state that a player said, I don't have to make the last nickel. I'm making really good money, and I love it here. And that, that, that's what our game needs more of. Hey, look, I know players have earned the right to do whatever they want to do. And trust me, I don't know of many organizations that have lost more superstar players to free agency than the Indians. If it comes down to being a free agent and wanting to get the most money, it's never going to happen in Cleveland. And it's never going to happen in Oakland. And it's never going to happen in Milwaukee or in Kansas City. And so when you have a George Brett, when you have a Robin Yount that play their entire careers there, or Kirby Puckett at Minnesota, who could have gone on the free agent market and made more money. That's what I wished we would see more of. When you talk about Frankie Lindor, and again, I will go back to the one thing that I'll always say, a player has earned the right to do whatever he wants. But if you do want to stay in the city that you're in, then you'll make it happen. You know, Mike Trout could have left Anaheim. Now, he's handsomely paid. We get all of that. You don't think he could have gotten more on the open market? Sure he could have. So, you know, it's still got to be a two-way street. When you mention Frankie Lindor, I mean, Chris, I can say without equivocation, it is 99.95%. He's gone, period. You know, and that's Frankie's right. He's earned that. One, because he is not only one of the great talents in the game and certainly a player that might be the first pick of a lot of GMs if they were starting a ball club from scratch, but he's also got the personality. He's got the smile. You know, he's got that gravitas. He's a good teammate. Yeah, you know, he's everything you want in a player. He's everything you want to represent your franchise and the city, but it's not going to continue here. He's made that quite clear, as has his agent. They say the right things. But again, if you want to stay, you'll make it happen. You'll work something out. They've tried to sign him multiple times to long-term contract extensions, even when he was in his second year as a major leaguer. When guys turn down that security for the kind of money that he turned down, you know what the end result is going to be. And so I also think, though, Chris, I think this pandemic, and again, what do I know? But I really think this pandemic is going to change free agency for the next several years. Look, Frankie Lindor is going to get a tremendous contract when he comes out on the open market, but they're not going to get the contracts that were out there as late as last year. 
this industry is taking a gigantic hit, whether we play this year or not. And we have no idea what the future holds. I mean, Major League Baseball could be impacted again next year. Nothing is ever going to be the same in this country until we have a vaccine that we know works. And so I'm thinking of a guy like Trevor Bauer, who has been longing for the day to be a free agent. Well, you're going to get your wish, Trevor. Your free agency will be at the end of this World Series here in 2020. And watch how the bottom has fallen out of his market because of what has happened. You know, these ball clubs, these owners may be as as rich as they may be, but they didn't get rich by being stupid and by losing hundreds of millions of dollars, which could happen this year. And I think it's going to have a great impact on Trevor Bauer, on Frankie Lindor, on any free agent in the coming years. You know, when we were back in Cleveland this past year, I was with the ball club. And of course, Ray Fossey is a A's legend. I went out to Heritage Park with Ray to interview him at his plaque. And (laughs) that is the one thing that I think these guys, like, because, you know, it was just Tony Gwynn's birthday. And I think about the big statue that Tony has down in San Diego. It's like, you want to tell these guys, listen, I understand money. You're going to make money either way. But do you want to be honored for the forever? We, you, you want to be a statue guy? Free agents don't become statue guys. Statue guys are guys that stay with the organization their entire career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, when you and I, I wish, you know, it's been a lot longer for me than it's been you than when I was in my 20s. I, you know, I think a lot of times when you're that age, you, you don't, you know, I, shoot, when I was in my 20s, if I thought of somebody that is my age now, I would have thought, well, I, you know, whatever, that guy should be in the cemetery by now. You know, now I'm going, oh, I, I don't know about that. I hope I've got another 20 years left. So <laughs> I, I think when you're that age, it's all a matter of perception, Chris, and you're not thinking about legacy. You're, you're, you, I think sometimes they get pressurized. I know they do uh, by the union, especially if you're the top free agent that year that they want you to come out and set the market for everybody else. So, you know, again, a lot depends on the player and the agent. At the end of the day, the player has to realize the agent works for him and and not vice versa. And again, it's all up to the player. I understand if, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. If a player tells me, look, I want to be a free agent and get the very most money I can get, I respect that. I don't respect when a player says, I I want to play with this certain team in this market for the rest of my career. And it's like, no, you don't. You're saying that because you don't want the fans to turn on you. You're saying what you should say is I want to be a Cleveland Indian, or I want to be an Oakland a for the rest of my career. As long as they give me the most money of any team in the game. That's really what the reality of it is. I wish there were more guys that wanted to be legacy, but I also get it. I, you know, um, they've earned that right to go out and, and you know, um, be the the show pony of that free agency crop and, and see what they can get. And, and, and also there should be the ability to go and play someplace else. Maybe you want to live someplace else or place for some. I, I respect that. They should be given that right. It's a, a society that encourages that. But, you know, just be upfront about it. And I, I think people would be more understanding, but I think that's wishful thinking. Tom, it's great to hear your voice. We truly appreciate the time. Can't wait to get this thing going. And uh, 
hopefully we'll see you at the Coliseum at some, sometime soon. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, based on the schedule, I don't think we're we're going to get uh, – I, I guess we will get west of the Mississippi, but it won't be by much. But uh, I wish you guys the best as well as the Oakland A's fans because, yeah, I, I, I really feel bad for everybody. But there are certain teams that have really – primed for this moment. Oakland had a chance to be a special club this year. And uh, I know what it was like for us in 94 when the strike came and ended a dream season. Luckily, it restarted in 95 when we picked up from there. Um, I just want the Oakland A's and their fans to have a chance to have the kind of season that they, they've really worked for uh, here in 2020. That's it? Tom Hamilton, legendary voice of the Cleveland Indians. I love the call. Swung on and belted. And I'm telling you, I've been in the booth next to him, and it's so loud, and Indian fans absolutely love him. Well, from one legend to another, I mean, from the greatness of Tom Hamilton, voice of the tribe, to the greatness that is our voice. Coming up next, I'm looking at him. I can see he is there. Coming up next, we'll have Ken Korak right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live, broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right, the final hour of A's Cast Live for the week. And as we told you, he is here, the voice of your Oakland Athletics, Ken Korak. Ken, how are you? What's up, Tony? Um, You know, I just finished an interview with someone who's doing a research project on the California League and spent about a half hour on the phone. Now, that was really cool because what a rich history, uh, you know, we have in California with single-A baseball with the Cal League. So that was a, a fun part of the day today. Yeah, I uh, I did the San Jose Giants for a couple of years. And, of course, San Jose State uh, also plays at San Jose Muni. And, uh, you know, going around California at all these, you know, whether you're going to Stockton or you're going to Modesto or down to San Bernardino, Lake Elsinore, you know, all these that Rancho Cucamonga, all these different places. Uh, the college has been around for a lot of time, for a long time. And some of the greatest players who've ever lived, Hall of Famers played in it. The league kind of stretched out, migrated south after I did the games in Ronard Park. I did a partial season in 81 and a full season in 84. It was more of a Central Valley and Northern California league. It was, it was cool. I could tool around in my car. I didn't take the team bus that often, but back then you had Reno in the league, San Jose, of course, and Salinas, the Salinas Spurs. You had teams in both Lodi and Stockton, Ronard Park. So, and, and we had a, a, just a phenomenal team back in 84 with players that got to the big leagues. They bucked the odds in terms of the number of players that went from single A to the big leagues from that club. And Lost in the playoffs to the Modesto A's when Jose Canseco hit a home run that is still in orbit. It's something they still talk about up there. Um, Like prodigious would be an understatement. Now, our ports have a new ballpark. But back in the day, uh, Stockton, the ports, and and, uh, the University of Pacific played at Billy Hebert Stadium. And yeah. uh, I played there and broadcasted there. Remember, they had the brick. They had a brick wall. It was literally a brick wall for their outfield wall. It was crazy. Right. And then in, I don't know if they changed the press box when I was doing the games. And this wasn't unusual for the Cal League back then. You were all in there together, right? There wasn't a broadcast booth. You were in a press box where you had the PA announcer, maybe one 
reporter from a local newspaper, uh, the the official score, and the broadcaster. So everybody could hear everything you were saying. <laughs> I remember uh, in Modesto, so it was the A's, and they hadn't built, they, you know, they had the new ballpark, but they hadn't built the press box yet. So we're just right. outside in the heat in, in Modesto in the middle of the summer. Uh, the yeah. good old days you know, of the Valley. That was like the origin of the lights have taken effect. <laughs> Although I think it might have come from Scully, but people always ask me about that. So I'm doing the games in, in Roner Park. It's the same setup. Everybody's cramped together in the booth. And as soon as I would say the lights... Everybody else would chime in, have taken effect. So they got a kick out of that. Uh, I remember. We digressed, haven't we, so far? I I remember going to High Desert, the High Desert Mavericks. Mark Davis, the old closer, is one of their coaches. And Adelante County. Folks, you never need to go there. There was like two bars and one restaurant, and that was it. I'm like. How do it's basically the Mojave Desert? And you're like, how do people live here? I go through there all the time on my way to the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There, yeah. I, I'm sure it's grown up a bit, but back in the day, there was nothing there. No, there was nothing there. Now you talk about like a town like Victorville, which is the big town in that area. Victorville is like a big city now compared to what it used to be. So, what is Ken Korak doing throughout the day to occupy your time? I said this the other day on an interview that the whole day is like this quest to get to four o'clock because at four o'clock, then you can have something to drink. And now you're preparing dinner. I'm spending much too much time in the kitchen. I've, I've been making some, some, I mean, I'm not, I have no interest in like these elaborate dishes that I've been trying to cook lately. Like, like I created celery soup. Now to somebody, some, People listening, that might not seem like a a big deal. But to me, that was like a huge accomplishment to make celery soup for my wife and me or stuff red peppers. And so I'm spending a lot more time in the the kitchen. I've actually enjoyed it. I think we're like everybody else, Chris, and that is that you're trying to find things to do and to get a little creative. And this this time has allowed us to pursue some other other avenues, I guess. But um, doing things like this with you, uh, we, we're kind of trying to gear up for baseball a little bit. We don't know how things are going to go in the next uh, seven weeks or so, Chris, before the projected start of the season. But the other thing is that I've found that there are a lot of outlets that I wasn't even aware of that I guess have sprung up too because of, of the virus and people looking for things to do. And that is there are some wonderful programs available online. So some really cool educational stuff, topical things, uh, current event kind of stuff, and uh, things with authors that I found really fascinating. So uh, trying to find things to do like everybody else. You know, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and he goes, you know, this is the only time in our life, like Monday through Friday, if you crack a beer at 1 o'clock, no one's going to judge you. That's exactly right. See, and that's, that's to me, the whole thing is to get to 4 o'clock so I can do that, <laughs> right? I'm going to help you get to four (laughs) o'clock. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting times, but I think the good news is, uh, and you're, you're, we talked to Matt Williams last night. I taped him at nine o'clock, so I couldn't start cocktail until nine o'clock. Uh, but we had Matt on, of course, because, you know, they're a day ahead of us. Uh, we've talked to Dan Straley. 
We've talked to Daniel Kim, who's a broadcaster over in Korea. You see him on ESPN. And the, the league's going, and they're the template. Then Japan's going to start. NASCAR's about to start. Uh, the the ultimate social distancing sport, the PGA Tour, golf is going to start. So we're starting to see it, and it sounds like the commissioner believes we're going to have baseball in 2020. You just got to get this thing worked out with the players. But he seems pretty positive last night on CNN. He did. I saw the interview. and um, Excuse me. There's a lot that has to happen between now and then, but I think we're hopeful. And as we've said many times since we began doing these shows, um, you know, safety is primary. It's the number one thing. And let's just hope that all that can be worked out, uh, Chris. Actually, you're talking about the KBO. I spent some time on the phone with, with John Boog Shambi yesterday. And he was going through this whole process with ESPN carrying those games. And it really is fascinating from the standpoint, too, that we don't know how, I mean, it's not about us, obviously, in our world as broadcasters. We're not 100% sure of the form that our broadcast will take. And so he offered some really um, insightful things about what ESPN is doing to televise these KBO games because he's working from his house. Yeah, Boog is going to join us on uh, Monday, and we're going to ask him about it. And it's great that they're doing this, and we're getting to watch some, some live action. And uh, you're going to hear here three at 3.30, I, I, I have a story about back in the day being at Candlestick Park. And I can't remember which Dodger it was, but there was a Dodger that was showboating. And Matt Williams comes back to the dugout and just – right before he goes into the dugout, he's screaming at this Dodger player. Like he wanted to like, he wanted like a piece and the Dodger players going to like the outfield mats. I said, Matt, fast forward. Now, now it's all about bat flipping and, 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 and fist pumping. And, and he goes, and you're going to hear, he goes, I've aged like a fine wine because yeah. Matt Williams was an old school guy. He would not be into bat flipping back, back in the day. He actually, he's one of those guys where he's really intense. Right. I think that was one of the things that characterized him. And that was people's perception of him. Kind of a stern, very serious guy. Always had that look on his face. But getting to know him, and I called some of his games in AAA. We were talking about minor league baseball, Chris. But when he was in Phoenix and I was doing the games there in the Coast League, I actually saw him hit like three, I think maybe even four home runs in a game, at least three in one game. And he was such a good player then. It took him a while to figure out the breaking ball. So he was on the Phoenix san francisco shuttle back and forth but once you get to know matt and interview him like you did he is a, a wealth of information very engaging and he really knows the game and you know i give him credit for going he wants to manage again in the big leagues i'm sure you talked about that uh to go to korea and get back into managing the insomniac special i was actually up this morning they had a little rain delay in his game that was yesterday or today depending on the the time zone. I watched some of his game. They lost. They got. They were beaten. But it is. It's kind of cool to see Matt in the dugout there. Yeah, and mm. getting a chance to talk to Dan Straley. He's doing well and enjoying his time over there. And we just hope that everything uh, goes as planned, and, and they'll be the template for us getting started. Uh, I and I kind of, I kind of hope that our players are watching this, and they're seeing that. Korean baseball is all about entertainment. You know, it's like when we talked to Sandy Alderson about bringing Jordan to the A's, it's all about entertainment. 
And these guys, they're not throwing at each other. They understand you give up a home run, the guy's going to pimp it. He's going to he's going to bat flip or if there's a big strikeout, they want their guys to be fist pumping and looking into the dugout and everything. I mean, it's like it's like it's it's a fun brand of baseball. I'm hoping our players watch it and understand that if a guy bat flips, you don't have to hit him in the ribs the next time he comes up to the right. And I think especially now that you're going to be playing without fans, so whatever you can do to kind of enhance things and add the entertainment value because you're not going to have that that buzz in the in the crowd that you would have. I was talking to someone today about this, Chris. And he was wondering, well, why would you have a public address announcer if there is nobody there? And I thought, well, you want you want PA, you want the music, you want people. I don't, I'm not I'm not telling the teams what to do because I know that they're they want to limit the number of people who are actually at the ballpark. But I would think you would welcome something like that to give it the kind of atmosphere that you would have in a normal game. Yes, and I think also for the players to try and make it as normal as possible. You know, I've kind of compared it, and I did this with Dan Straley. You know, playing without fans, it's, it's like a college. When you when you inter-squad against each other, no one's in the stands. That's kind of what it's like. But, yes, having, like, Dick Callahan announce the players' names and to give you, you know, some normalcy. Also, for the viewers at home, uh, to give you some that play music and, of course, baseball in Asia, we've experienced it multiple times going over to Tokyo where you got bands and every player has a walk. The band has a song for every single player when he comes up. And in South Korea, they have cheerleaders. So, you know, you still can do some of this to give to because there's going to be that little bit of that empty feeling, no question, with no one in the ballpark. I, you know, I'm glad you interviewed Dan, and I would I would like to talk to some of those guys too, Chris, because I was thinking about this today, because it's so obviously we've never been down this road before, and the stopping and starting of spring training, having it in March, and now restarting that for two or three weeks, and now playing in the regular season without fans, will it be intense right off the bat? You know how things are on opening day, you have a big crowd, and there's all that energy, and the emphasis on winning, and um, you know, the energy that comes with that, Chris, will it take a while for that to build this year? I'm just, and, and also because maybe you might not see some of the starting pitchers able to go more than four or five innings when the regular season starts. So will it take a while for baseball to kind of gain a foothold this year? How will that evolve? And I'm real curious about that. You know, I hope not. Because A, I think it's going to be really healthy for the country to see because the difference between baseball and all the other sports is baseball's every day. So now you have something to look forward to every day. I think that'll be good for people. And the other thing is this season is going to go by so fast. You don't get out of the gates quick. You know, it's, it's like a car race, man. They're going to blow by and you're done. I mean, so it's like these traditional slow starts that our A's teams normally have that can't be this year. you got to come out guns a blazing. Because if you look back over the all the years the A's played in the postseason, they would not have most of the time if you just looked at their record at the All-Star break. So you make a great point. And, and it's going to be a real challenge, I think, for managers. We don't know. We're just speculating here uh, because they haven't reached agreement yet. But how are the rosters going to look? They're talking about maybe 30 players on an active on the active roster, but a large taxi squad. So there will be challenges for the managers. Now, the A's have one of the best in the business in Bo Mel. 
and they really have a good ball club. So how does all that how does all that play out, Chris? And then if you if you do look to maybe getting toward the end of the season, if a club like the A's have a chance, you're not as worried or concerned as you maybe would have been with innings. Right? There's not going to be any – there won't be any innings limits this year unless you have those pitchers who come out of spring training and say, you know, I'm really not ready to get you deep into a ball game yet. Yeah, that we've been talking a lot about that with Puck and Lazardo because that was you know, one of the main concerns that we had down in Mesa is – how much are you going to let these guys pitch? How many innings? And and because you need them for the postseason, so do you not pitch them a lot early? But now all bets are off. I mean, it's all hands on deck. Every five days, these kids are taking the ball, and we don't have to worry about how many starts or we have to worry about inning limits. And and I'm really looking forward to that. And I think they're you know obviously can what we have seen. They're electric, and they're going to play a big part whether the A's are going to make this postseason. And I wonder, will we have any type of trading deadline? Well, that's a great point. There's there's so much we don't know. And right now, there's a freeze on transactions. There are a lot of players who don't have jobs now, like a Jerry Blevins. He was in camp with the Giants, wasn't he? And he's. I think he would like to keep playing. I think he might have a great career in broadcasting if he were to pursue that down the road I've told him that but a guy like that who was let go during spring training is not ready to call it a career or even a younger player who still feels like he might have five or six years left but there's a freeze on signing right now so how is that going to go will you have a trading deadline will you have teams that feel like you know we're not going to be in contention and there are financial issues, obviously, this year. Will they be more apt to want to trade some of their guys who are making decent money? So we're going into, I mean, uncharted waters would be an understatement. And the guy we just talked to, Tom Hamilton, broke it down like Lindor's been offered a lot of money multiple times. He clearly wants free agency. Now, we have no idea what free agency is going to look like. But this might be the night. If you're in a shortened season and they give you some type of deadline, this might be the ultimate time to trade Francisco Lindor and players like him. Do you think you'll have a trading deadline? Ah, I mean, what do you if you play in 80 games? What do you do it after like 40 games left to play? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it would. I, I I would still have one because it's gonna anything they do is gonna bring interest to the game. So that's why I still would have one. Um, I like the idea. I've always been someone that I don't like that the Texas Rangers and the Astros are in our division. When you have the Dodgers, the Giants, the Angels, and the, you know, I like West Coast teams playing each other. I mean, we've seen attendance. Who are you going to get more? If the Dodgers or the Giants show up to the Coliseum, are you going to get better attendance with them or the Texas Rangers? So I think we're going to – this might be a time realignment will be more acceptable going forward. I, I'm just I, – I can't wait to see the California teams start to play each other. Well, if we do play and you wind up in a situation where you just have the two Western divisions, you're going to have a lot of those matchups. Uh, and, and so it might open the door for people to think, you know, this isn't that bad an idea. Maybe we might try to implement some of that during the regular season. But as far as the – the deadline is concerned, you have to have some kind of a deadline, Chris, because you can't just let teams load up with a week left in the regular season. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, that's the whole 
that's one of the ideas behind the trading deadline. If you've got two weeks, three weeks left in the season, you've got to have a deadline where there are no more trades or whatever the waiver wire situation might be because you just have to be able to prevent teams from saying, I'm going to grab this guy from here and this guy from there, and I'm going to you know, really gear up for the postseason. You can't let that happen. Yeah, last well, one week to go. Lindor's now a Dodger. Like, what? You can't do that. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, but this is – this is the chance to experiment. People just want the sport. Hey, you want to do an electric strike zone because you don't want to have umpire, catcher, and batter near each other. You know, I mean, this is this is the time to experiment with whole, you know, it may be just Ken Korak and Vince Catronio in the building calling the game and Dick Callahan <laughs> on the PA. Uh, all the rest of us will be doing it remotely. But whatever it has to, you know, like I, I take you behind the curtain. I've told our our boss, the professor, Matt Pearl, I said, I'll do anything to get this thing going. I, I don't care where I am. I just want to get this thing going. Yeah, I'm sure we all feel the same way. And we don't know if we're going to be on the road. I mean, how are they going to work out a lot of that stuff? And I think it's it's too premature right now to even get to delve too deeply into that. And hopefully we'll have an idea, um, assuming that they'll that both sides reach an agreement, how that's going to play out. The, the other thing, I'm dead set against would be any notation from baseball, like an asterisk, because people always ask about that. I am absolutely dead set against it. If you get through an 82-game schedule um, with the backdrop of this virus and what's been going on around the world, you get through that, you get through an extra layer of playoffs, and then you get all the way to the World Series and you win it, you are the World Series champions as far as I'm concerned. There'll always be a historical context. People will always know that this was the year um, that has been so tragic and so unfortunate, Chris. And that'll always frame the season, but there's no need to have any notation of that officially. You win the World Series, you win the World Series. You win a batting title or the ERA championship, you win the Cy Young, uh, more power to you if you persevered this year. Yeah, like uh, 1981, they had that major work stoppage. Dodgers won the World Series. We we don't say that they're 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 not the real World Series champions. They got the rings. Didn't matter how many games they played. A's got to the postseason that year with Billy Martin, and we were talking about the Cal League. I think you and I have talked about this, but because there was no Major League Baseball over July fourth, when I was working in Roner Park, we had an Angels. We were an Angels affiliate, and the Padres were in Reno. And so on July 3rd, we played in Anaheim Stadium. The uh, two single-A clubs played. And then the next day on July 4th, we went down to the Murph. And July 4th of 1981, they had 37,000 people for a single-A game. They gave away watermelon tickets for a dollar. They had a festival out in the parking lot there. And they had fireworks after the game. And so for a guy, I didn't know. I mean, working in the big leagues was the last thing on my mind, the farthest thing. I couldn't even hardly dream of the day that I might have a chance to work in the big league. So in Anaheim one night, San Diego the next day, I was thinking working literally in the major league broadcast booth. We worked in the Angels home radio booth in Anaheim. I thought this might be as good as it gets for me. Yeah, that's back when it was still a football stadium in Anaheim. It's not like what it is today. And then, oh, the Murph. I grew up at the Murph. I I grew up like – I rode my bike to the Murph. I grew up like five minutes. I was up on the hill. You just come down the hill. I mean, I, you kidding me? I used to ride my bike to Padre games. That, we, used to, we used to sit in the left field seats out there. Oh. Had that big wall. 
before they enclosed, they actually moved the the uh, fence in there, right? Yeah. You had to clear this huge wall. They had guys like Al Ferrara and uh, Cito Nate, Gaston. And remember Nate when Colbert. Dave Winfield? Yeah. yeah Nate Colbert. Uh, John DeMott was their public address announcer. Number 11, Enzo Hernandez. You know, that's been, you know, watching all these old games. Like, we were just talking about the 71 All-Star game that had all those Hall of Famers. We had John Shea on, you know, he's written the book about uh, Willie Mays. It, it, this has been a good time to go back and look at the history of the game. We, we were talking about Ted Williams. Ted Williams wanted to work with Michael Jordan. There's been so many great stories. Uh, you know, the one that uh, I got from you guys, and I give you guys credit, and I'll never forget listening to you, and you had Dave Stewart on. And I don't know if it was you or, or, or Vince asked him about the fork ball. And he's like, I learned the fork ball from Sandy Koufax. You're like, what? That's insane. And Alex Coffey was on your show earlier today, right? Yeah. She wrote a great story about that on in The Athletic. And 1956, Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series. Uh, the other day on MLB Network with a very young Vince Scully still in his, in his late 20s doing the national telecast although not that many people had tvs around the country in 56 and a very minimalist telecast if you go back and watch it and compare it not just because they didn't have that many cameras and it's like a it's like a two or three camera shoot they, there was no instant replay but in terms of the play-by-play -play, it was like this spartan minimalist play-by-play -play, not many words at all and when vinnie when vinnie talked it was uh, just to kind of give you a, a, a context of what was going on. And that's the way they wanted the play-by-play -play announcers to do their job back then. Has Ken Korak been able to get out and swing it at all? Have not played any golf, my friend. Not yet. The last, last round of golf was on the 16th of March. Well, right now, it's got to be smoking hot there, right? Out here? Um, today it's going to be about 95, I think. That's yeah. not bad. There have been a couple of days that were 100. And, you know, I think the average high right now is 89, Chris. So it's not bad. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to get back to the Bay Area, though. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's like there are things happening around the house. Like I asked my wife about this plant that we have in front. And I said, look at those beautiful yellow flowers. I mean, has that plant always been here? And she said, we've lived in the house for 28 years. You just have never been here this time of year. It, it's it, it's true, and you better get back to P Town quick because before you know it, it's going to be one fifteen. I love it when it gets warm out there, man. Because then you can go to the Coliseum and cool off. All right, Ken, you got a you got a half hour. Yeah, I got a half hour till four. <laughs> <laughs> well, you almost got me there, pal. You and the commander. Yeah, right, well, right. it's always great hearing your voice. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, thanks for doing such a great job and keeping the A's, uh, A's fans talking baseball, man. So thanks for having me. Take care. The great Ken Korak, the voice of summer. Coming up next, we go into the future. The big Marine, Matt Williams from South Korea. How cool is this going to be? I'm going to tell you, we taped it last night at 9. You're going to love it right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend.
Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is a World Series champion. He's a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, four-time Silver Slugger Award winner, led the National League in home runs, RBIs. He's been manager of the year in the National League, and he was the premier uh, third baseman during his time and, of course, was an A's coach. The great Matt Williams is with us from South Korea. How are you? Hey, Chris, how are you? It's uh, uh, a little different, a little different time uh, zone over here, but uh, it's good to talk to you. So, what has this experience been like for you? Well, it's it's different uh, for sure. Um, I got a chance to come over last fall and get a little bit of lay of the land. Um, spent 31 days here during the Kia Tigers fall camp, uh, and then and then it was. You know, we thought business as usual uh, until around the first of the year. Um, spring had spring training in Florida, and uh, we were there for an extended period of time because during that time they had a real bad outbreak in South Korea of COVID. So uh, we spent a little extra time there and finally got a chance to get over here and uh, get ready for the season. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys are the template uh, of what's going to happen with Japanese baseball, what's going to happen with Major League Baseball. So how are you guys going about it trying to protect your players? Well, everybody is essentially um, on lockdown, if you will. It's it's very similar to the stay-at-home orders that you see in the States or, um, you know, things of that nature. But we're at the ballpark or we're at the hotel or we are at our home. Um, not a whole lot of venturing out. Uh, the, the organization has been ultra accommodating with regard to making sure that everybody is safe and everybody is fed and uh, transported and all of those things that, um, you know, present dangers as you, as you try to live a normal, a somewhat normal life. But, um, you know, we're just trying to make sure everybody adheres to the rules and regulations, one, of the government, and two, of the organization and KBO to make sure that everybody stays healthy uh, so that we can play the games that we're playing. Yeah, we've been watching it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the style of baseball. It's been fun to watch, but you have an interpreter. What is that? You know, So you can have three American players or three foreign players but then the rest of the guys, they right. speak Korean. Obviously, you don't. What's that like as a manager? Well, it's it's a challenge sometimes. Um, you would think that, um, you know, it would be foreign to the, the Korean players. But the majority of our guys, we've got a very young team. So the majority of our guys have been taught English in some form or fashion. So they can understand if I get into intricate detail about something, they may not, but they certainly understand the language of baseball and they understand the majority of the things that I may, may want to be telling them. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's great to have Eugene Koo who, who has major league experience. He, uh, he worked for the pitcher, uh, uh, his last name's O pitch for the Cardinals pitch for, um, for the Blue Jays. So he's got the experience of dealing on the other side of it um, with a foreign player going to the States. So he's certainly uh, multilingual and he gets my point across if, uh, if anybody is having any trouble understanding. 
just how good is it to be back managing again? That's fun. It's, it's, as you said, it's a little different style. Um, and, uh, and a little different league, as you know, we have 10 teams in the league. Um, the, you know, the, the, the schedule is such that we have every Monday off. So that is a little different. Um, we play games. Uh, if we get into extra innings, we can't go more than 12 innings. Uh, if we, if we have a double header, then those games cannot go into extra innings. So, you know, it's a little bit different, uh, a little bit challenging at times, but it, it's fun. I, I enjoy teaching. That's probably the thing I enjoy most. And, uh, and we have a lot of young players that are eager to learn. That's for sure. I remember being at Candlestick Park. It was Dodgers Giants. I can't remember who the Dodger was, but somebody was showboating. And I remember you screaming at this Dodger guy. And I think fast forward to now, it's bat flips, it's fist pumps. It's like a t- totally different than what you were brought up in. Well, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself like a fine wine. Sometimes you mellow with age. You know, so maybe I'm not quite as fiery as I once was, but it is the style of play here. It is, you know, if you, if you took a regular game, I don't know if you've seen any video on it on YouTube or anything, or if anybody that's listening wants to take a look, just pull up KBO on, on, on YouTube. And the fans are incredibly excited. There's noise throughout the game generally. Um, you know, they have chance for every player. Uh, we've got the biggest fan base here for sure. And, uh, you know, right now we don't see any of that because we have no fans in the stands, but, uh, ordinarily it's just a different way of playing the game. And so, yeah, if somebody bat flips, then nobody takes exception to it. Um, because if one of our guys does, then that's okay too. Uh, how has it been without fans? It's a little strange. It's, uh, so, um, you know, cheerleaders, right? So uh, each home team has a set of cheerleaders. So they cheer when the home team is at bat. And so when we're, if we're on playing on the road and, uh, and we're at bat in that inning, it's eerily silent. Uh, but when the home team comes up, then the cheerleaders are going, they're playing songs throughout at bats. Um, they have their chance, of course. And, and so it's a little bit different as you go from half inning to half inning. But it's a little strange. You know, we're, we're all used to having somebody in the stands watching, whether it's mom and dad when you're a kid or, or a, you know, a high school game or a college game or uh, all the way to the big leagues where you've got stadiums full of people. Uh, when there's nobody there, it's a little bit different feeling for sure. When you look at the, the talent level, where do you think from big league to maybe triple A, double A, where do you think the talent level is of the KBO? It's hard to say. There's, there's a, you know, there's a number of, of KBO players that have gone on to play in the major leagues and play well. Um, and then there's some that, that haven't. So, you know, it, it ranges. Um, we have roughly 94 players uh, within, the, within the whole organization. So it's limited in that regard. There's not, there isn't the, the multi-level minor league system that you have in the U.S. You have the, 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 the major league club, if you will, and then one minor league club underneath that, and then kind of a, de- a development club be- beyond that. So, um, the, yeah, it's a small country, of course, and the, so the, the pool of players that they pull from is not as great as it is in the U.S. or, um, in, in, you know, in a Latin country either. So, um, 
so yeah, I mean, you know, you got some four A guys. You've got some guys that uh, have gone on to play in the big leagues. Uh, some guys that have have gone and and played and had a cup of coffee in the major leagues and then come back. So it's kind of a you know, it's kind of all over the place. But they love to play, man. I tell you what, they work hard uh, every single day. They're eager to get here and play uh, every day. So that's really enjoyable. You know, in your great career, you played in some huge games, and, and you, you haven't been able to see this, but some of the legendary games you played in are being re-aired on MLB Network. You were part of two walk-off Game 7 World Series, obviously in 2001 when you took down the New York Yankees with the D-backs, but then you lost as a Cleveland Indian against the Marlins. I don't know how many – people have ever been in in two games like that in their career i know yeah one it is so it is so bitter when, when it's the wrong end of the stick but it's so gratifying when you're on the other side and you're able to win it ultimately it's what we all play for you know we play to win the world series and it's the same over here you know we're, we're playing to win every single day we're playing to win the kbo championship um and you know ultimately that's that's the goal so uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's rough when it comes down. It, anytime you get beat, uh, especially in the World Series, especially in extra innings of that World Series, uh, it makes for a long winter. That's for sure. Well, I know the bond because you know, of Bob Melvin, Bob Brindley, and all the players. We've had Luis Gonzalez on the show. I've asked him this. There is that real special bond of that Diamondbacks team, and I wanted to ask you after watching that game. Uh, when Randy Johnson comes out in game seven, the stadium just went, it just exploded. What was that like? Yeah. Well, he'd gone the night before and thrown 115 or 116 pitches uh, and told Bob Brindley immediately after the game that uh, I'm available tomorrow. So, you know, that and made it known, I think, wanted to make it known for the rest of the players. Um, as you recall, uh, we went to uh, Yankee Stadium and lost some heartbreaking games and then came back and, and really gave it to the Yankees in game six, beat them 15 to two. And so we, we wanted to keep that momentum and Randy standing there, you know, in the earshot of everybody, letting Bob know that, hey, I'm, I'm available tomorrow. I don't care whether I have to go out and throw 100 more um, was a shot in the arm for us. It, it was a great team. It was a bunch of older guys, a bunch of guys that, that had never gotten to the World Series, that it was nothing but about winning. That was it. They had made their money. They had their great careers. Uh, they were at the end of it, and it was simply about winning. And, uh, and that's, that, that was a really fun team to be on. Let's end on this. How many, and I know you're all about winning, uh, what kind yeah. of chances do your, does, your, does this team have? How long is the season, and then how long is the playoffs? Well, it's a, it's a little bit um, strange because, uh, well, well, if we look at our team, we've got young, young players, we've got talented players, but, but players that are still trying to find their way uh, at points as well. So what we'd like to do this year, realistic goal, is to make the playoffs. Five of the ten teams make the playoffs every year. So we'd like to do that. The team finished in seventh place last year. 
So we'd like to get to the playoffs and see what we can do. Um, secondly, the, the season is 144 games. So in essence, we play a minor league season in a major league time frame. So the fact that we started on May 5th, we're going to run our season all the way through the end of October. And then the playoffs will start sometime in November. So the time frame is a little bit different. Uh, they talked about cutting the amount of games down uh, because we started late. But they decided that since, uh, since you know, they've done a nice job of, of uh, knocking COVID down here, that they would, they would continue to play the full season. Um, some different things that are happening. We now play double headers. We now play on the off day if we do, ha- in fact, have a rain out. So it's more American-style scheduling. Uh, but we'll play 144 uh, and, uh, and see where we end up at the end. But hopefully we're, we're somewhere in that top five. Well, good luck to your club. We're going to be watching, and we miss you back here in Oakland. We always appreciate the time. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll talk later on in your season. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. The Big Marine. How good was that? Well, I mean, we've now spoke to pretty much everyone in Korea, and we we have a – like I said, no one covers the KBO better than ESPN and us right now. Uh, Daniel Kim reached out to me last night. He said, hey, if you guys ever want to have me on again, please reach out. We will do that. <laughs> we will definitely do that. Yeah, that was, you know, he is such a uh, – he's such a good guy, Matt Williams. And I, I, I'll tell you what, for a guy that had such a distinguished career and made a lot of money, Man, did he work hard. Like, he brought it every day as a coach. And he was working with the guys every single day. Hitting fungos, teaching. He didn't mail it in at all. And I always talk to Bob Melvin about that. And that's why Melvin loves him. Matt Williams is a grinder. And look at his career numbers. He had a great career. And it's a trip. He played in two two of the most classic World Series Two game seven walk-offs, one with the Indians, where he's the loser, and one with the D-backs, where he was the winner. All right, you ready for a little uh, buying or selling and letting us know what's going to be on A's Cast? Come By the way, we've updated some new A's Unfiltereds on A's Cast, just to let you guys know. Okay, I am ready. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so uh, as you aforementioned, coming up next on A's Cast, the A's 47th win of 2019. Down to Disneyland versus the Angels, who ironically or coincidentally, whatever you want to look at it, that's who they're playing in the simulated sandings which they lost today. But this one, the A's win. Chris Bassett, who also weird, pitched the game today for the A's against the Angels uh, in the simulated season, picked up his fifth win of the year last year. And Matt Chapman drove in six runs with a homer and a triple as the A's took down the Halos 12-3 on June 30th for their 47th win of 2019. So that's what's next on Ace Cast. So 53 years ago yesterday, Mickey Mantle made history. He hit his 500th home run versus the New York Yankees. 
During his 18-year career, Mickey Mantle hit 536 homers. He led the majors in homers four times. He's a Hall of Famer, seven-time, yes, seven-time World Series champion. He's not Yogi Berra, who won 10. Three-time MVP, Triple Crown winner, and 20-time All-Star. Mantle is second in home runs to only Babe Ruth's uh, 659 with the Yankees. And he's led, or he's third all-time in war behind George Herman Ruth and some guy named Lou Gehrig in Yankees history. Buying, buying or selling Mickey Mantle is the second greatest New York Yankee of all time. Over Lou Gehrig? Uh, hey, the, the number. I'm going with the numbers. Joe DiMaggio, we're honoring him today. What about my guy Jeter, huh? The captain. Uh, his number was retired, what, a couple years ago? Uh, sorry, Jeter, you're you're not in the top five for me. A-Rod? Please. Come on. I'm gonna, I, I, A-Rod's grown Reggie on me, but no. Jackson. Reggie Jackson. What about Roger Clemens? David Wells, David Cohn, Jimmy Key. Uh, I am selling at number one, the babe. Number two, the iron horse. I mean, Garrick was a great player in his own right, too. And, of course, like I said, Mickey Meadows third all-time in war behind George and Lou. So, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I mean, Mickey Meadows had some great numbers, the, like we mentioned earlier in the show. Often compared between him and Mike Trout, who's going to be the better player. Uh, I think Mantle's a better player right now, but Mike Trout is the 11th player in Major League Baseball history to have 300 home runs through his age 28 season, according to Baseball Reference's simulated season. So one well, of the trout, trout, it, it, you know, Trout's never put up a fifty burger in the old HR category. If he ever does that, uh, yeah, I can see Trout getting if he has the longevity. I mean, he's gonna hit probably six hundred home runs. If you take it, yeah, because this is his, this will be his tenth season. You figure he would hit. He's gonna have well over three hundred home runs this. You know, if we played a full season. And then he, if, if he plays ten more and he averages, he'd hit a grand six hundred home runs. I think the most home runs shot ever hit in his career in a year was like 40. He hit 41, and then he hit 45 last year. So 45 is his career high in home runs. Uh, I mean, he got the war. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer already if he just quit today. He already has a 72.8 war. Uh, I think he's going to go in, even if he just said, I'm done at age 28. I'm just going to retire. Uh, and then come back five years later and probably still put up numbers and go in the Hall of Fame again. How old is he right now? He is 28 years of age. Gosh, and I'm 30 yet. He he will he turns he will turn twenty nine August seventh, so. But the problem is, is now you're having a shortened season, so you know. That doesn't help for guys' career numbers. Not not at all. So speaking of uh, guys' career numbers, so this guy had a great rookie year, but one of the biggest stories of the Yankees offseason was Garrett Cole, the star pitcher signed a nine year three hundred twenty six million dollar extension. But that's not who I'm going to talk about here. As much as you want me to talk about Garrett Cole, and I would like to talk about Garrett Cole. It's not him. The other big story of their offseason has been injuries. John Carlos Stanton, James Paxton, Aaron Hicks, and Aaron Judge. Well, the biggest head-scratcher has been Aaron Judge. Judge has been recovering from a cracked rib since March. Brian Cashman said yesterday he doesn't see Judge being ready till summertime. Judge missed 60 games last year in 50 in 2018 after winning the AL Rookie of the Year in 2017. Buying or selling, selling, Aaron Judge doesn't play at all in 2020. Oh, come on, you China doll. Are you kidding me? You've had more time <laughs> off to get, to get healthy. Let's go. I mean, if there's any team that has benefited from COVID-19, it's the New York Yankees. They were banged up 
Everybody should, you should have, you should have no reason why you're not healthy. We, I mean, we're, we're still a month and a half from playing. Let's go. Yeah, you're kidding me. The Yankees could use Judge if they want to make a run at the World Series uh, title with Garrett Cole there. The pitching staff is still a question mark. selling A's Yankees in the ALCS. Selling. Wow. A's Twins ALCS. Josh Donaldson versus former team. The Twins are going to sell. Donaldson versus Chapman in, in the ALCS. Would you rather see Donaldson, Chapman, or Donaldson and Gio E. Urshela? And come on. It's, you want to see I, Chapman, I, Donaldson. No, I'd rather see the Yanks. The bomb, take out the Bombers. How great would that be? Well, I mean, it'd be great, but I mean, behind Garrett Cole, who are you who are you afraid of in that Yankees rotation? And then go on and beat the Dodgers in the World Series. Take out the two powers, so then no one will say, "Ah, it's an asterisk." You'll be like, "Hey, man, they beat the, the Yankees and the Dodgers." Yeah, I don't, I'm with I'm with Ken. I don't I agree with the asterisk thing either. Uh, do we say, oh, hey, the Spurs won the uh, NBA title in 99. They should, they should have an asterisk next to it. Tim Duncan should be one of the greatest players ever. No, we, we celebrate that team for coming back after the strike and winning the title. So I'm with Ken. I don't think there should be an asterisk by anything. Uh, maybe besides maybe Barry Bonds is uh, 73 and 762, but we'll never understand or uh, that'll never be taken away. So uh, need to move on from that. He's a cyclist now. That that. True. I was watching something on. Do you remember Lex Luger, the wrestler? Of course. I w- so I've been watching this Mr. thing on. Per- uh, he and Mr. Perfect teamed up at one point. There you go. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. They showed a thing. I was watching this thing called the Monday Night Wars on WWE Network, and they showed Lex Luger when he's all jacked and stuff in the early 90s. Oh, he's a monster. Oh, my. You should look him up now. He weighs, I don't, he looks like he was about 120 pounds. Like, Are you small serious? head, his body's just, like, they're only showing him from, like, the chest, like, pretty much, like, mid chest up. So you see, like, his shoulders and his head. He looks nothing like he did, you know, 25 years ago. And when he, when, and when he came over to the WWF, he was the narcissist. Yes, there you go, the narcissist. And Bobby the Brain Heenan was his manager. And then he shows up on uh, WCW when they did their first live Nitro show. He shows up out of nowhere, and you hear Eric Bischoff going, "Get him the hell out of here! What's he doing here?" Meanwhile, it was a whole like no one knew that Bischoff signed him to come because he was on WWE TV the night before. So it was, it was a whole thing. But I wanted to bring up how Luger looks completely different from 25 years ago. So yeah, now, like Barry Bonds. yeah. So now that the NL might have a DH, every team will need another hitter. The Dodgers are lucky with Jock Peterson. The Mets have our old friend Yoannis Cespedes. The Brewers have Ryan Braun. Heck, the Giants could add Yasiel Puig to be their DH. What about the Diamondbacks? They got Jake Lamb. He had 29 and 30 home runs in 2016 and 2017, respectively. But he's been injured the past two seasons. But what about a guy that can play two ways? Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner is a career 177 hitter with 19 home runs, which is more than Cattell Marte had in his entire career before last year. Buying or selling Madison Bumgarner will be the Diamondbacks' everyday DH, except for when he pitches in 2020. Selling. How great would that be, though? Hey, the Giants got Pablo Sandoval, the uh, panda. Uh, yay. Uh, call Joey Bart. Let him DH. Which you might actually see him now. If they're talking well, about this yeah, whole service time thing. Mess, if, yeah, if it's not going to mess with his service time. Call him up. Might be time for a little Barty. Call up Joey Bart. Uh, call up um, Casey Mize. Call up all these guys that the teams are 
expecting to see and make you know uh, have uh, big careers going forward. All right, last one. We have another edition of On This Date on top of Joe DiMaggio, uh, the Queen coming to see the A's and Orioles play in 1991. I saw that over uh, while we were – I think we were interviewing. It was when Tom Hamilton was on. I saw that on Twitter. But on this date in 2014, one of the Mets' great young pitchers made his MLB debut. Not Thor, not the Dark, dark Knight, but Mr. Outlier himself, Mr. Back-to-Back, Jacob DeGrom. He went seven innings and allowed one run to the Yankees, and guess what? He lost the game. Typical Jacob DeGrom, he goes seven, only allows one run, and the team can't score for him. But since his debut, DeGrom has won back-to-back Cy Youngs, as I mentioned. He's won 66 games, collected 1,255 strikeouts, and pitched to an ERA of 262 in 171 starts. Justin Verlander has won 88 games in that time with a 321 ERA, 1,335 strikeouts, and 187 starts. And your guy, Mad Max, has won 97 games with 1,627 strikeouts, in a, two, in a 281 ERA and 191 starts. Buying or selling Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. Selling. Wow. I will not. Again, you slander him and Mookie. Selling. Okay, so better. Is it is it Scherzer or is it Verlander to you? What about Garrett Cole? He had one good year. By the way, what shirt are you wearing? Uh, oh, it's my it's the uh, Hurtado Matt Chapman uh, players weekend shirt from last everybody, year. Everybody, everybody was not thrilled with those jerseys. Uh, well, they were what the, Amer- the American League was white, and I think wasn't the National League all black. Those were, were all black. Yeah, people were not. I I liked it. I thought it was clean. It was interesting. Well, you have one. You have your own jersey. Yeah, I do. I have. I got. I you know, you get to learn everybody's nicknames. Ken Korak is Rack. I don't even know what Vinny's was. I don't remember. I don't remember either. We do that again. Fossey's got to get one. It has to be the face. The face, and he has to wear a sombrero during the broadcast. <laughs> so, so where do you? Okay, so where do you put Kershaw then in the ranks? I mean, he's obviously top five in the league, but he's done. What do you mean done? He threw a second career no hitter yesterday, according to Baseball Reference, the simulated season. Uh, he's not the dominant. His fat. He, he's lost. He's, he's lost the velo. Yeah, so he's not as dominant as he used to be. Still gets a low it's ERA though. It really is hard to 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 see Verlander at this age still doing it. I mean, he won what? He won twenty one and was it twenty one and six last year? He went with a ERA under three. He had the three hundred so strikeouts. You got to win one game. You got to win one game, and you can choose anybody. Who are you choosing? Probably Verlander. He's only got has a, he's only got has a track record. I, I'd go Mad Max. I'm at, I mean, Scherzer's been in, incredible since he joined the Nationals. If you go back and look, from like 2012 with his last couple years at the Tigers to now, no one's been better. ERA, strikeouts, wins. Like, he's been on, on an unreal run. I mean, DeGrom's won 66 games, but I saw a stat that I think – um, I don't can't remember if I saved it or not. But I think in his career, DeGrom has like uh, – let me see if I, if I liked it to pull it up. Um, yeah, of course I don't have it. But it was something like he's – He's lost uh, the number of games he's uh, lost when he he uh, pitched well with a quality start. It's unreal. Hey, hey, look, look at Scherzer. He's been two point seven nine, two point nine six, two point five one, two point five three, two point nine two. Those are those are his ERAs the last few years. He's got an under three ERA. He's got three Cy Young awards. He's just out there dealing. 
and he's giving you two, you know, for the most part, giving you 200, oh, 200 or more innings. He's not your five and dive DeGrom guy. Again, you you can't slander DeGrom <laughs> on this program in front of me. I'm trying to find that stat. I Oh, here it is. DeGrom has 32 quality starts in which he did not earn a victory since 2018. He's 0-12 with a 191 ERA in those starts. Yes, continue to tell me why that's his fault that his team can't score runs. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's, he's greatness. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. How much time we got? Uh, a minute. All right, well, well, you already went over what's going on, so we'll have the best of. We've updated A's Unfiltered. Uh, Monday, we're going to have Boog Shambi. Who else are we going to have? The Hall of Famer, Burt Bly Levin. Burt be home by 11. Uh, our good friend Mike Farron will be on, and Hembo. Oh, Farron and Hembo? Come on, I'm ready to do this show now. And we'll see who else I – we'll see what happens over the weekend and who we can add then too, so. What do you got going this weekend? Uh, it's Friday, so I'll probably drink some White Claw later. And, uh, that's, and that's really about it. I don't do anything. Come on. Oh, I, no, you'll be calling me going, hey, we're taping this guy. You make me work every day. Yeah, maybe we'll pull I'm it. Working, you're making me work now more than if it was still baseball season. True. Uh, I'm, getting you, I'm getting you in the, I'm getting you in the uh, mindset that you might be working every single day. <laughs> All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here. Uh, A's cast live on Monday from 1 to 4. Be safe. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.